when the time comes we can also always explain away like summer of trigger like well folks we're we live in minnesota and as you all know summer lasts a whole extra month in minnesota yeah so for us for us it's still the summer of trigger <laughs> yeah that's yeah, I, mean, we'll explain I, mean, like I mean technically like if you want to really look at it you know meteorologically uh the autumnal equinox isn't until september 22nd so that marks the official end of summer and beginning of fall yeah, so you can't get on our backs, people out there. You can't get <laughs> on our backs. Yeah. It's we just science, to, you know? We got a, we got a technicality here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll do well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Baby, where everything is doki-doki no waku-waku. This is your host, saying you should believe in your own magic, Mikey. And joining with me, as always, is... The Black Cat's Grin himself. It's Ryan. And welcome back to Summer of Trigger. And with Kill a Kill in the books, we're now down one show and three shows and a movie left to go in our Studio Trigger kind of summer. And we're keeping the good times rolling as we go from Trigger's first anime series to their first major project, period. I'm, of course, referring to Little Witch Academia. Ooh, what an exciting one to get to. Oh man, like, I was excited to talk about Kill a Kill last time, but I'm really looking forward to talking about Little Witch Academia. Like, this series is pretty much Studio Trigger Incarnate. It's arguably the heart and soul of Trigger, you know, it's like... It was what started it all. Yep, it's like, it's mostly everyone's introduction to Trigger, barring the folks who followed uh, Inferno Cop when that first came out. <laughs> I mean, and how many people saw Inferno Cop, I wonder? <laughs> uh, good handful of people. I don't know. Tweet us if you saw Inferno Cop when it came out. Because <laughs> I got admit, I, I still got to catch up with that one. <laughs> yeah, like, it's one of those where it's like, everyone knows Inferno Cop, but I don't know how many people actually have seen it. Yeah, it's kind of the same one for, like, another production of theirs, Ninja Slayer. Yeah, well, well I see Ninja Slayer. <laughs> yeah, I'm proud <laughs> to admit that. It's 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 not to everyone's cup of tea, I will admit. No, no, it's it's my cup of tea, but not everyone else's. Yeah. <laughs> no, but still, the, we do have to take into effect and take into account that this was the, their very first stepping off point, the very first stepping off point for the studio, and um, yeah, I was I was very I was. It's very telling that they went with one that was uh, so family friendly, but also just. A um, a really good, a really good first step for the entire studio to show what they can do, show what they can pull off, 
and the um, sort of spirit they want to bring, bring to all of their works. So as always, first things first is a little bit of the background as we go a little more in depth with something that we only briefly talked about in the last episode, that being the Anime Mirai 2013 project. As mentioned before, Anime Mirai is an annual project that launched in 2010, originally known as Project A, which is funded by the Japanese government's agency for cultural affairs in order to support training animators. So the project uh, culminates in a series of anime shorts produced by various studios each year. And the way it works is that uh, animation studios bid for funding each year, and four studios are selected to produce uh, short films. And then all four of these short films air in theaters each year sometime around uh, March. And it started as Project A, and from 2012 to 2015, it was called Anime Mirai, or Anime Future. And from 2016 until today, it's called Anime Tamago, or Anime Egg. You know, I bet uh, Kevin Mann from the Attitude Era podcast loves a bit of Anime Egg. <laughs> Uh, good old, good old fun, good old Fonzie inspiration. There, you gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the year we're talking about is 2013, early 2013 to be specific. So cast your minds back to a time when we had a president who wasn't a massive shithead, just starting his second term. The Baltimore Ravens won Super Bowl 47 in a game that was mostly remembered for a power outage that happened in the second half. Lance Armstrong admitted to being on the juice, and people destroyed their Livestrong bracelets in disgust. WrestleMania 29 was on the horizon, with the main event being John Cena versus The Rock twice in a lifetime, which would be met with rousing indifference. And both of us were in the midst of our first year of college, getting our weekly anime fix with our respective anime clubs, and gearing up for our first anime detour. And uh, it was a yeah, it was a spirited time, a simpler time. Remember when we had anime detour? Ah. Uh... <laughs> Remember when we had fun in general? <laughs> so much fun. Uh, precious memories. <laughs> All of those are lost, like coronavirus in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, life is sad. Uh, so it was this time when Anime Mirai 2013 happened, with four shorts from four different studios being screened. Uh, those shorts were Ryo by Studio Gonzo, not the Muppet, uh, Aruvu Rezuru Kikai Jika Kate no Yosei Taichi, I really butchered that, I'm so sorry. By Zex. <laughs> Tough names there. And we had Death Billiards by Madhouse, which would go on to be the basis for the incredible Death Parade. And last but not least, the subject of this episode, Little Witch Academia by Trigger. Oh man, remember when we first saw this very first short when it was released? It was hype. It was, ah, oh God, well, like, uh it was fresh in our minds that like this was like this was like what like you know studio guy like some two former studio gynex people were doing and like we were just like oh we're so down for that so down for it oh yeah it's just like i remember when they first released it like uh i think you saw it before i did and then you texted me that night saying hey you gotta check this out there's this uh little there's a short made by uh former studio guy next uh members on youtube you need to check it out it's called little witch academia and i'm all i'm like oh okay i'll give this a watch and plus it was the same uh it was like the day before anime detour 2013 started and i thought you know what i might as well watch this to kind of get a little hype for the a weekend of weaving it up and then i'm just like this is so amazing like 22 minutes of just glorious glorious goodness uh, it was it was them putting it was them putting their all into like a project that was going to define them going forward, and they did not disappoint for one second. No, not at all. And like, yeah, they released this 
on YouTube on April 19th, 2013 with English subtitles because they know they know people are going to like want to watch this in the like all over the world. And the YouTube version actually gained over 850,000 views until it was taken down in August 2013. I know, and I, I even remember watching like the interviews with like some of the people who worked on it, like Yo-Yo Shinari, Yo-Yo Shinari. Um, God, like all of them just so, just taking like so much pride in what they did, and just really hopeful for the future. I mean, it was it was great seeing all those animators take a lot of pride and just have a lot of fun with uh, bringing that magical world to life. It, it warmed my heart. And that's like a lot, that's pretty much a theme for like most of Studio Trigger shows where it's just like, all these creators just putting their heart and soul into this project that they just want to bring to the people. They were just like, hey, we made this cool thing. We hope you think it's cool, too. Yeah, that's a very good philosophy and one that came through very well in their first film. And it was super successful. Like, this just was a runaway success because people were just talking about it online. I think I remember, like, that weekend at Detour, I overhear tons of conversations with people saying, like, hey, have you seen Little Witch Academia? Oh, Little Witch Academia. Little Witch, Little Witch, Little Witch. Oh, it's so cool. Check it out. Check it out. There was buzz. And, like, it was so successful that at Anime Expo 2013, Studio Trigger announced a sequel will begin production after Kill a Kill ended. And initially, they had the funds to produce uh, another 20-minute short, but they wanted to go bigger for the sequel. So Trigger launched a Kickstarter to extend its runtime to 50 minutes, and uh, they had a goal of $150,000, and they made that goal in just five hours. Oh yeah, like that was well. That was back in the day when like you could go on Kickstarter and like get almost anything like yeah. funded like, fully. <laughs> like if you had the right, if you knew how to take advantage of hype, <laughs> you could get pretty much anything funded from Little Witch, Little Witch Academia to Shenmue Three, <laughs> or a shitty game show web series for uh, for a now defamed internet reviewer. Those were the glory days of Kickstarter. I mean, it's it's slowed down now. You know, you you, you gotta you really gotta like advertise advertise yourself well if you want to make something off of there, and uh, you still gotta be careful with like how you spend your money as well and stuff. Otherwise, you end up like a project like um you end up like a project like Dead Meat from uh, uh, the Grim Adventures of Billy Mandy's creator Maxwell Adams, who um, tragically just everything went wrong for that project, and then just. He just had to cancel it entirely and had to give refunds to everybody. Oh my god. Really sad, really sad. He didn't deserve that. No. He really didn't deserve it. Yeah, especially someone like Everything him. went wrong with that project. Mm. But anyway, back on track. Yeah, so yeah, they made their... So Studio Trigger made their goal in just five hours, and by the end of the Kickstarter, they would finish with a total of $625,518. Damn. And so, the short, titled Little Witch Academia, The Enchanted Parade, premiered at Anime Expo 2015 and was later released on Netflix later that same year in December, complete with an English dub. And not only a dub of The Enchanted Parade, but a dub of the first short was released too. So, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of The Enchanted Parade from what you remember of it? Um, compared to the first one, uh, in some ways I like it a little, bit, a little bit more because they introduced even more endearing characters. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> And they also just bring the same old, like, you know, incredible, like, flexible animation that, like, made up the first one, you know? I mean, it's just, it's just, more, it's just more of a good thing. <laughs> that was all I wanted. <laughs> but now we have even more characters to the party that we could, like, bounce off of and play around with, you know? 
So I, I love it quite. I love both of them. I love both of them equally. They're just they're both great. And yeah, I have to agree with you. Like the fact that the second one added more characters and we just have like we just like get a bigger group and it's just it's just so much more fun to seeing all the personalities bounce off of each other and also like the fact that the short clocked in at fifty minutes is just even more of a good thing. Yeah, because like we just at the time we just wanted more. That's all we really needed. Yeah, like fans demanded more. Fans were like doing stuff like uh doing fan art of like what they think the series would become if it were to be a series or like doing fan fictions of like how they would write stories with these characters it's like there was like a huge hunger for little witch academia from the moment it came into like the collective consciousness but unfortunately uh with these short films they unfortunately left netflix this past october and aren't legally available anywhere why because it can only be assumed that netflix let the license expire and decided not to renew because netflix is terrible with anime more on that later uh, yeah. But let's talk about the mastermind behind Little Witch Academia, that being Yo Yoshinari, who is uh, most notable for being a key animator with Studio Gainax when he was wor- still working with them, and he worked on such shows as Fooly Cooly, Panty and Stocking, Evangelion, and Gurren Lagan, because of course he worked on Gurren Lagan if he's with Studio Trigger. Oh, such a talented guy. Seriously talented. And like uh, the latter two shows, a- Ava and Gurren, he actually did mechanical designs for those shows. So like the Avas and the Gunmen, like you can definitely you can like credit him for like those designs. He's like Masaki Yuasa, where like if I just see him on a project, I'm there. Oh yeah, it's like all in. I don't care what it is, all in. You could you could tell me ahead of, ahead of time that it's shit, and I would not care. I'm down as long as it looks pretty. I'm cool. And uh, besides Panty and Stocking, he also worked with Studio Trigger head honcho Hiroyuki Imaishi on Dead Leaves, which was Imaishi's uh, first theatrical directorial work, if you remember from that from the last episode. And based on all that, you can understand why Imaishi was able to get him to jump ship to start Trigger. Like, I'm pretty sure, I like to think that when he was, like, in the planning stages for starting a new studio and leaving Gainax, I'm pretty sure uh, Yoshinari was, like, on the top of his, his short list of who he wants to bring with him. Yeah, and, and damn well they should. <laughs> and a little peek into the future here, Yoshinari would go on to direct Trigger's most recent show, BNA, Brand New Animal, which is really good, by the way. Check it out if you have if you ever get the chance. <sighs> I will need to get around to it. And, uh, oh, I got, a, I got a funny story about Yoshinari. As uh, When he entered into the animation industry, he applied for both uh, Studio Gainax and Studio Madhouse. Uh, he didn't receive a response from Gainax, so he decided to join Madhouse. And the reason for not getting a response from Gainax there was a mistake on their part that caused them not to process his application until three months afterwards. Oh, come on. And, and so three months into his time with Madhouse, Yoshinari got the call from Gainax saying, hey, we got your application. We want you to come and join us. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm already with Madhouse. And then like, since uh, Gainax was probably his first choice and not wanting to explain to Madhouse this whole uh, confusion, he just told Madhouse, uh, being an animator is too hard for me. So he left and then immediately went to Guy Nix. Oh, God. <laughs> That's scoundrel. <laughs> it's, it's like, okay, someone who works for Trigger, I can totally see. This is a plausible story for anyone who would work for Trigger or Guy Nix or whatever. Yeah, it's believable. <laughs> so fast forward two years after the Enchanted Parade was released and five years after the first short film was released when Little Witch Academia, the series began, like... How awesome was it when it was announced that Little Witch Academia, this really great project that only produced two short films, was getting a full 25-episode series? Just start of a franchise, you know? It's like what exactly what people wanted. 
you know, everyone was just like, Give me what I want! Give me what I want! Jacked directly into my veins. <laughs> and the series, with Yo Yoshinari once again at the helm, aired on Netflix from January 9th, 2017 to June 26, 2017. In Japan. Here in the States, we had to wait until June 30th! Four days after the series ended in Japan, and that was only to get the first 13 episodes. And the rest of the series wasn't released until August 15th, more than a month and a half later. Ooh. <laughs> That's rough. Why are you going to do us dirty like that, Japan? It's like, okay, I appreciate that we got the series, you know, but like, fuck Netflix and their treatment of seasonal anime. Like, they should never license anime seasonally because they always manage to fuck it up somehow. Oh, yeah, it was the same thing with Beastars, too. It took nearly, like, it took how long did it take for them to get Beastars on that? Oh, God, was it, like... Nearly, like, nine or ten months, I think. Yeah, like, more than half a year. Yeah, we had to wait that long just to get that series over on Netflix. It was ridiculous. And the, they're doing this also with, like, other shows, too. Like, just this year, they did it with BNA and also the new season of Pokemon. I know, like, Gone and Ash were, like... I don't know, like boyfriends. By the time they like got over here to the over here to Netflix, I don't know. I haven't really watched it, but <laughs> no. Oh, you're right. They're fully dating. They're 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 totally a couple. <laughs> but yeah, it took way too long to you know get them over here. <laughs> yeah, you you know everyone loves the ship Ash with Misty or Serena, but it's like, come on, goes is one true love. <laughs> you all know it. You all know it. You all know it. <laughs> but like back to Netflix and their treatment of like. It's it's not just anime that Netflix seems to have like this really really bad problem with. Like they do this with other shows like Miraculous Ladybug where like they wait for fucking ever to release it when like other countries air it with English dubs, mind you. Oh yeah, they're god awful with that series. And don't get me started on when they licensed the second season of Teasing Master Takagi-san because like despite Funimation already having the first the license of the first season they decided to just like, oh, we'll just license the second season anyway, forget the first season, and we're going to re- completely recast everyone in the dub, because fuck you. They, they need to get their act together with this shit. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what's more annoying, the way Netflix treats anime or the way Aniplex prices anime. Both, both just terrible. Both just <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah, both, both is good. But, you know, ranting aside, we got Little Witch Academia in 2017, complete with a dub, and said dub is directed by the team of Laura Post and Lucian Dodge, with adapted scripts but written by Christian Lamont, Erica Mendez, Rachel Hager, Lucian Dodge pulling double duty, and all of them each had, uh, they each all covered a handful of different episodes, so like this four-person team. Ooh, and what a, f- God, fine team that they put together for this one. Oh, yeah. So, with all that out of the way, Summer Trigger continues with Little Witch Academia the series. So without further ado, let's set the ship.
So first things first is talk about the opening. The first opening we have here is Shiny Ray by Eureka, while the ending theme is Hoshi o Tadoreba, or If You Follow the Stars by Yukio Ohara. Uh, what do you think about the opening and the ending here? Magical. Simply charming and magical. Sets up the setting incredibly well. Just so sweet and ah, adorable. <laughs> it's so cute. Like, the song is just super catchy and it just feels you like once it hit, hits the big chorus it just fills you with that sense of wonder and amazement that you that like anyone would have at magic now when that's now that's the op but when it comes to the like ending theme when those strings hit mm, i'm in heaven oh man it, like the images like yeah, the op- the ending has like these little still frames and like they're just like the cutest images ever of like our characters just hanging out and spending time together it's just so unbelievably sweet and so, let's kick off with uh, first arc, which is base, which will basically cover the first three episodes of the series. So, kick off with a remake of the opening scene from the first short film, as we see a young girl watching a magical performance of the witch Shiny Chariot. And man, this opening scene, like both here and in the original short film, are really, really good. Oh yeah, like they still they still keep up like the animation quality pretty well between between these two works. I mean, the the, the films honestly is a little more re- like refined, but. For like the TV series, they still do. They still put in a like insane amount of work to making this look impressive. Oh yeah, like you know, with the short film, like they'll have like a, a more of an extra budget for like uh, a little in between frames, but still, like the series manages to like just pretty much match that feeling of watching that opening scene from the short film. Well, it is clever in like the ways in which it uses uh, its animation to its advantage. Um, and and I'll get into that like later on a little bit, you know, but um. No, they start off like really strong. They start off really strong, just just instilling the the main one of the one of the core themes of the series, which I think is wonder. Oh yeah, definitely. And also, one thing that uh, I really like about this opening scene is like uh, a little something for uh, fans who uh, saw the original short film when it came out. Is like uh, it wasn't in the original short film. There was like a little. Uh, there was a certain early bird cameo, but uh, it was more like a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. Here, they kind of make it more obvious. But like, if you're just watching the series, then it doesn't mean anything to you. But for like the fans who were with Little Witch Academia from the very beginning, it's kind of a little nod saying like, "Yep, yeah, you know this. You know this. You know what's gonna happen." Thank you for your patronage. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a little something nice for eagle-eyed viewers out there. And also here, it plays into the overall story a bit more. So like, another reason for them to make it a bit more obvious. So we are introduced to our lead, Atsuko Ako Kagari, played here by Erica Mendez, who looks up to Shiny Chariot and was inspired by her to become a witch. I love Ako. She is the greatest. Right off from the get-go, she comes across as a very likable protagonist, you know, uh, gazing up to this um, uh, famous performer witch, uh, Shining Chariot, um, and uh, just, you know, being inspired by all the magic she sees in these elaborate shows that show people just exactly what magic can do. Uh, she right off the bat, like that is like one of her defining characteristics as she like never loses in the series, this um, wide eyed sense of wonder towards magic and um, seeing that kind of contrasted against uh, many other people who are like already around magic, like 24 seven, it makes for a very nice contrast. And uh, it's done in a way where like, it doesn't like overstay its welcome either, because you know I imagine like some people like would have had like the concern of like, oh well she's kind of like got like wide-eyed wonder towards anything like is that gonna get tiresome after a while? But no, they actually find ways to play around with that 
play around with their expectations a lot. I mean, that, that is largely where a lot of the uh, conflict in the series comes from, which is how, Akko, how Akko's expectations uh, sort of clash with reality a little bit. But she, she always maintains that likable attitude towards magic and just in general what it can do for others, what it can inspire in others. It's, it's, she's, a, she's a very strong protagonist, I have to say. And also played amazingly by Erica Mendez. And hey, back-to-back uh, Trigger anime where Erica Mendez plays our main lead. She's going so hard as Ryuko, like, and then just goes right into just bubbly sweet and, like, energetic Akko here. Oh, yeah, and, like, honestly, I would put Akko up high on my list of favorite anime characters, to be honest. Like, she's up there with Toru Honda from Fruits Basket for me. As far as anime characters that, like, I could actually take inspiration from a lot... Or at least, like, what I like to see in characters a little bit. Because she does have a little bit of that, like, wide-eyed, optimistic, uh, wide-eyed, optimistic, um, sort of, like, uh, every everybody should get their own, like, fair share kind of attitude that some, like, shonen, like, protagonists have, you know? And in that regard, she she does rank pretty high in, in that in that aspect. Oh, yeah, she's she's best. She should be everyone's best girl. Well, you spoke, you, I think you're, you're speaking too soon because there are some other contenders in the series. Oh, yeah, like, you know, like, I will say Akko is my favorite, but, like, man, it's it's a tough competition with the rest of this cast here because they're all really, really good. In fact, we've got two contestants coming up here. Yes. So, while on her way to her new magic school, she comes across a girl who also appears to be a witch in training. We are introduced to Susie Monbavaran, played here by Rachel Hager, and we get the first of many, many moments of her fucking with Akko. Is just what do you think of Susie? Uh, like from the gag, like from her first appearance, she comes across as kind of like silent and dour. But um, no, she she grows to be um, arguably like in, within like a three way tie with three characters <laughs> with Akko and one other character for my favorite of the series. <laughs> she is devious. She's like borderline evil. She is a master of potions. She will cook up a concoction and just, like, boil your ass. <laughs> She'll smile the whole way. And um, also, like, a weird, like, shape of, shade of, like, indigo or something. <laughs> One of, like, the only characters in the series that, like, has this kind of, like, color, like uh, dark, uh, dour coloration to her. And it just it, it just makes her come across even, like, funnier to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I love Susie so damn much. Like, I remember when the first short came out, everyone was in love with Susie. Like, she just won over people just from her first... From the very second she was on screen in that original short, she won everyone's heart. Because she's, she's a little bit of a trickster. She's, like, just, like, pulling pranks with, like, her potions and whatnot. Yeah, and also, also one thing that, uh... One thing that really endears Susie to me, personally, by the way, is that uh, in some uh, supplementary material and in cast interviews, you find out that Susie is actually from the Philippines, which uh, me, being half Filipino, going like, yeah, represent. Yeah, that's that's just a nice detail. You know, that's nice. And uh, even more nice detail is uh, her broom is also a uh, Wallace Tambo, which is a broom commonly used in the Philippines. And I actually remember my grandma had one of these when she, like, still lived in Minnesota. And my mom still has one of these at her house. Fuck, dude, that is awesome! Yeah, good broom, by the way. Very nice for hard floors, and also very soft, too, so the bristles don't fall off. Ooh, nice. 
Yeah, but like I remember when I first watched this episode, I saw that and I'm just like, ah, oh, ah, oh, it's the room my mom and grandma have. I I know what that is. I've seen that before. <laughs> oh, that's 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 adorable. <laughs> uh, so Akko parts ways with Susie for now as she makes her way to the ley line, which is used to get to the academy, where she runs into a bunch of witch students who make fun of her for being a nomad. Hey, now there's no there's no shame being a nomad, unless you're Asta. Then there's plenty plenty of shame. So much shame. No, I, th- I think there's like an, an an inherent amount of shame you should feel if you, if you are at all called anything that is even that is even remotely as terrible as the word nomad. <laughs> uh, Fucking idiotic word, like term. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Akko has no way of traveling through the ley line since she can't fly a broom. But luckily, help comes in the form of another new character who is Moe AF. Introducing Lotte Jansen, played here by Stephanie Shea, and ain't she cute? Oh yeah, she oh yeah, she's quite nice. I like I like how she like worries about like all of her friends. You know, you know, she comes across as a very um, uh, caring, uh, book smart person. You know, so she contrasts pretty well against uh, the against Akko and Susie. Oh yeah, like she provides the she's kind of like the, the the moral compass of like their eventual big group. Well, she's also the one that's like more hesitant, to, more likely to like hesitate on things as well. And I think when you have like a character like Akko, that's kind of that's kind of important to have around. Yeah, I feel any like trio and anything could, definitely needs a character like her. Someone to reel in the crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. And also should mention that she is from Finland. And get ready for more of this because as the series goes on, we'll see that nearly all the characters in the show hail from different countries, which is really really neat. Yeah, which manifests in like some subtle ways and also some more like just blatant ways as well. But um, no, I like I, li- I like that uh, I like that they are playing up more that like they all come from like these uh, different uh, nationalities. And so Akko is able to hitch a ride with Lote through the ley line, but because of some salty pickled plums Akko was carrying, she and Lote, along with Susie, who was passing through at the same time, end up falling through the ley line into the forbidden arduous forest. And it's this part of the episode where we get the first of many moments of Studio Trigger pretty much flexing their animation muscles, as there's just a bunch of them showing off here, as the series is filled with tons of great animation, a lot of great expressions from the characters, the movements are very lively and snappy, and there's plenty of old-school animation techniques like squash and stretch everywhere. Like, fuck, dude, they're, like, stretching their, like, they're, like, just, like, flexing their key animation abs here. It's like, oh, yeah, you like that? Watch... <laughs> Watch my soccer watch the soccer go here. I can make it dance. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. It's like, alright guys, we gotta animate another scene for Little Witch Academia. Time to feed the pythons. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Only these little baby weights are more your speed. <laughs> you know, I've once I feel the tension behind my eyeballs, it seems like I might explode. That's how I know I'm doing good animation. <laughs> just a bunch of bodybuilders just like flexing their skills <laughs> oh yeah dig it oh yeah and like this is the kind of show where you can pause it at any time and you get like a great image whether it's something really funny or something like really really beautiful this this show must have spawned a lot of just uh twitter icons i imagine from just the many like like excellent frames i mean like when this came out i used an akko icon for my twitter I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> and then we get another moment of Susie being a shit, and we love her for it, as she makes Akko and Lote bait to lure a cockatrice in order to collect one of its feathers. Like, she just traps him in, into, like, this kind of, uh, you know, s- kind of, like, sphere prison, you know, like the one from uh, 
the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And just says, and she's all like, okay, just sit here, yell out this phrase to call the cockatrice an idiot, and then I'm going to steal one of its feathers. Great. See ya. <laughs> there, there's my errand done. <laughs> and I also like this first episode. It kind of follows a similar plot to the first short film where it's like Akko and the girls run afoul of a magical monster that goes on a rampage. Akko just then discovers the shiny rod and then uses it to stop the monster. And yes, the very same shiny rod that was previously used by Shiny Chariot. It was Akko's unshakable faith in becoming a witch which summoned it. And once again, the animation here is fucking gorgeous, and you're going to hear us say that a lot here. And we've got our plot device for the series. Aw, yeah. And so the girls are able to escape the forest through a portal, which brings them to the academy just in time for the opening ceremony. And so Akko, Lote, and Susie's new life at Luna Nova is officially underway. And should also mention, Luna Nova... The school exists within the world of OKKO, so OKKO is canon within Little Witch Academia. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna like bring that up. Like OKKO um, actually has like a funny connection <laughs> to Little Witch Academia and like Studio Trigger in general. Well, like Studio Trigger like did the like animated the opening to OKKO, so yeah, they they forged a bit of a connection there. So yeah, you can actually see occasionally like some references to like uh, Trigger in OKKO, which I thought was just the coolest thing. Like you can even see like uh, Ryuko and Mato and uh, Mako in like the background, very very small in like the background of like OKKO for one episode. And even in that series finale, they had uh, Enid, the um, martial artist witch of that series. Just straight up, like, wearing a Luna Nova outfit and, like, running a broom and saying she's going to go to witch school. <laughs> yeah, she just, like, pretty much attends Luna Nova at the end of the series. Now, Trigger, I, I hope you know. I hope you know. If you're going to make any, any more Little Witch Academia, you know you have to put Enid in, in Luna Nova. You know that, right? You need to have, like, a monster come by, and then you need to have Enid just, like kick the shit out of like that monster and just give a big smile to the camera and like give a shout out to her girlfriend action red but you owe this to us you owe this to us yeah i mean come on we had those references during the point prep article where they say like they're getting ready for a competition against luna nova so you know that that's another thing you can do you can like bring in point prep and you can kind of have like some kind of magical competition with them uh, if only if only oh god that's the dream and so the first day of school is underway, and we are then formally introduced to Professor Ursula, played here by Alexis Nichols, as she takes a liking to Akko and wants to get to know her and help her with magic. And we also get some little hints here and there about her true identity. But thoughts on Professor Ursula? Oh, just a, just a fine mentor. Although one that is distinctly just not sure of any, like, who feels also just not sure of her own abilities as a teacher. <laughs> I like that element a lot, because you, you, you feel a lot like she's... Like, uh, trying to struggle as she tries to uh, uh, teach Akko along this whole way. Makes for a nice little dynamic. Well, she's also, like, comparatively nicer to Akko compared to all the other professors. Uh, patience is the word. She has patience with Akko. And should also mention that uh, Yo Yoshinari actually, uh, he actually said that Ursula is his favorite character as he sees a lot of himself in her. Aww. Yeah, it's sweet. But she's not the only new character we meet as we're then introduced to the top student of Luna Nova. Twitter.com's at PassionTentacle, a.k.a. Ruby, a.k.a. Diana Cavendish, played here by Laura Post. And Diana here representing Great Britain. I think, I think she's more here representing the alpha bitch of the series. 
<laughs> like going to TV tropes under that category, and I think she will turn up. <laughs> Just the top of the list. <laughs> uh, but uh, what do you think of Diana? Um, well, what I, what I thought initially was just like, I know it's hard to say because like she's that char- she's that kind of character that needs to grow on you as you watch the series. Because like at the beginning, you know, she is kind of just like you know like whatever. Like I'm better than you. Like and I know it. Yeah, MGF. But yeah, she she definitely has like she's she's she she's tempered with a little bit of like humility here and like here and there but it doesn't show like too early in the series because like we want to put the focus on like the main characters and their exploits for uh t- for the time being i mean when we get to like the second half of the series that's when all the character development is really going to kick in but for now like she's um fine for the trope that she embodies here oh yeah like a, a good ri- good rival for someone like akko and also we meet her lackeys hannah played here by jennifer alex and barbara Played here by Alexis Nichols pulling double duty. Lol, Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I, I feel like these two are what would happen if you cross Chloe and Sabrina from Miraculous Ladybug and then split them into two separate people. That's how you get Hannah and Barbara. They were just con- conjoined at the hip when they were born, when they were born, and then just got separated. <laughs> and then here they are. <laughs> just... Just these friggin' lackeys, these bootlickers for Diana, going like, "Yeah, she's the greatest." You're you bunch of losers can't compare to her, isn't that right, Diana? Yeah, she agrees. <laughs> uh, but uh, during Aqua's first meeting with Diana, we learn that the magic world doesn't look too kindly on Shiny Chariot, as she's been ostracized from the magic world for using magic to put on shows. Yeah, they they have a real like stigma against just like. I'm I'm sorry. Putting on magic shows. Ooh, ooh, scary. So evil. Like it's like on the one hand, it's like it's like okay, I get it. Like it's it's like making a mockery of like what magic can like maybe do or something. It's just it's just like magic, but like superficial, you know. But it's like, like come on. <laughs> like God, David Copperfield doesn't get much like shit for this. I mean, I'm sure David Copperfield gets shit for a lot of like other dessert stuff, but like. <laughs> like come on like there's gotta be like some honor in at least you know (laughs) i mean unlike david copperfield like uh shiny chariot didn't have the gall to try to open up a magic restaurant that failed completely yeah give her give her credit there but like i feel there's just a bunch of the magic rule is filled with a bunch of like you know those old timers going on like these motherfuckers over here doing magic shows to put on put on they're just they're just killing the business man they're just killing the motherfucking business man Pendulette over here is just like, yeah, what the fuck is she doing, like, ruining our business here? Ain't that right, Tiller? <laughs> uh, but, like, hey, at least at least Shiny Chariot isn't, like, say, the masked magician who broke the magician's code. You know, I have a feeling that this world would really, really hate him. <laughs> he's, like, on the run. He's got, like, he's got, like, uh, like, f- like 50. He's, been, he's had, like, nine bounties released on him in the past years, and they're all, like... <laughs> Who's the mass magician? Why is he revealing all the all the secrets of magic to the world? Where's this warehouse that he keeps filming all these episodes from? Er, well, no, that well, like, that's that's not an entirely good uh, analogy, because um, in this world, um, compared to some other um, works out there concerning uh, witches in the world and whatnot, magic is pretty openly known in this world. Yeah, yeah, like, basically everybody knows about it and knows about it. It's not a secret at all. Yeah, pretty much. And although I think that does, um, at the very least, uh, tie in well in the overall themes of the series, is one thing that comes through very well, like, like, because of that, like, nobody is, 
like inspired or like feels any wonder towards magic. It's treated as like a normal thing as like electricity. It's like whatever it exists, but but it's like I don't know the, the it's 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 one thing between like it's a regular thing, but also there's like kind of a stigma against it. And I will admit the stigma against magic, as we will see later on, I think maybe could have been flushed out a little bit more. I think, but no, it does it it does create for it does make for some good world building. Oh yeah, definitely, and also just like it adds more to like Akko's character as she's like the only one who like has this big sense of wonder, big reaction to like anything magical compared to everyone else. She's the only one who gets excited over yeah, it. Yeah, that's and that's what makes her so lovable and endearing. And so, while Akko ponders over Chariot's unexplained disappearance ten years ago, Diana attempts to revive the Academy's Jennifer Memorial Tree, which has been declining due to lack of nutrients. But instead, her restoration spell reveals that it's apparently a uh, parasite growth that's feeding off its roots. And then this leads to one of the uh, running bits in the series, which are Akko's Shiny Chariot trading cards, where she uses these cards to learn more about the different magic phenomena throughout the series. And we kind of got like, we kind of get like a, a card of the day for like at least this first half of the series. Yeah, I kind of like that a little bit. It's it's like I lo- I love that I love that little like uh, that little bit of like fangirling that sometimes like a character might get or something. Or um, I also like sometimes I also just like laugh a little bit at the old like oh there's there's uh, cards about all these uh, famous people and it's like uh, I I just kind of get a laugh out of that uh, little trope. Like whether you, whether you see it in like Monsters University where like the fucking like blue collar workers in that world are like. Sports like stars or something, or uh, you get to a series like uh, Dave the Barbarian, where like famous barbarians have like their own trading cards. Uh, I kind of like that. Or to go back to OKKO, we have the POW cards. POW cards, yes, it's it's exactly just like that. Although in that way, I like I like that I like the use of that trope in that series a little bit more because like POW cards are actually used to like measure your power level in that world, even if they don't make sense all the time. And also, apparently, like, nearly everyone has a POW card, including Captain Planet. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I don't know. I like that detail. It, it, it's, it, I like that kind of universal, universality to it. Oh, that's great. And so Akko uses the card to recognize that these growths are actually chrysalises of the Papiodia, an extremely rare species of magical butterflies, and manages to stop Diana before she can obliterate the cocoons. She then uses a spell listed on the card in the shiny rod, is able to hatch the Pepiodia, but the teachers all come in and give Diana the credit because there's no way a nomad like Akko could ever do that. It's got to be our top student, our big dog. And even though Diana is meant to be Akko's rival, as early as this episode, we can kind of get hints at that she isn't necessarily your typical anime rival. Like there's a bit more to her, and we get the impression that she isn't as bad as you expect because she kind of shows a she's also she shows a bit little remorse for taking all the credit when it was clearly Akko who uh, hatched the butterflies. Yeah, she does at least give credit where credit is due. She doesn't like she doesn't steal from anybody. She only gets by by the merit of her own skill. You know, she she does have a bit of a she's a bit she's a bit like, you know, noble like that. After this, we get the episode where Akko learns how to th- fly a broom and is easily one of my top episodes of the series as you see Akko so happy going like, "Oh, we get to fly brooms today. This is so amazing." And then like she's she's even so excited that she shows off the scars she got as a kid when she was trying to fly a broom when she was little. <laughs> this leg right here broke it five times when I was when I was training. Like can you imagine her parents having to constantly deal with their hyperactive daughter jumping off the roof all the time trying to fly? 
They must have been so happy when she went to Luna Nova. <laughs> uh, it, it definitely like uh, you know save their hospital, save money on hospital bills and broken brooms. Oh, the, 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 the little the little bundle of energy is gone. Finally, we can save our marriage. <laughs> you know, you just like flashback to little baby Akko just playing on the roof, and you just hear like, "Honey, she's doing it again." Akko, <laughs> if you're on the roof with that broom and cape again, so help me God. Mom's just like, hey, honey, what do you got there? And then she just hears the voice of the flying broom and she just goes, no, no! <laughs> and uh, one thing that's fueling her excitement to fly is uh, Lunanova's annual broom relay, which was won by Chariot when she was a student at the, at the academy. However, Akko has some trouble learning how to fly a broom, and by some trouble, I mean a lot of trouble, as in that she can't fly at all. It's a, it's a moment that uh, Black Clover would go on to rip off along with the rest of Akko's character for that series. I mean, give a little bit of credit. I mean, give a little bit of credit. They were a little. They did do some originality with that. No, <laughs> still not budging from that, are you? No, they ripped it off. Shamelessly ripped it off. <laughs> Never gonna let it go. <laughs> Never. You know, basketballs may not hold grudges, but I do. <laughs> uh, later on, Akko and the girls go into town to a magic item cafe in the hopes of finding something that'll help Akko. And by the way, this cafe is run by Chumley from Pawn Stars. <laughs> it is like, if that is not just like, like one of those like old like references that like, where I just look back and I'm all like, "Fuck, I'm old." <laughs> <laughs> remember Pawn Stars? I remember back when like when like Pawn Stars was even like even remotely well known. <laughs> Actually, it was always the go-to show at college that was like always on like the communal TV because like any anyone could sit there and just be like, and then just like dissociate from life as they watched it, as they like watched and like as they just like petty around like refurbished uh, equipment that is like clearly amped up by the powers of reality TV. You know, you watch a scene where you try to see uh, Pat the NES Punk try to sell an old copy of the Nintendo World Championships and him getting lowballed. <laughs> uh, or, um, yeah, I've, I actually, I was, I actually like saw the exterior of that when I was in uh, Vegas once, but like, I cared so little for Pawn Stars. I just saw it. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's Pawn Stars from the from the hit from the hit reality show Pawn Stars. Oh, isn't that good? Hey, isn't it still fucking quiet and lonely around here in the section of Vegas? <laughs> uh, don't you have to pay to go in there nowadays? I Again, as I said, I did not give a single shit to go in there, <laughs> so I would not know. <laughs> and even if they did, you definitely wouldn't want to go. Yeah, and trying to like sell you like an upcharged like t-shirt or some shit. Oh my god. Anyway, Chumley found his way into Lumich Academia for some fucking reason. <laughs> For some fucking reason. I guess someone on the team must have really liked him and wanted to make a character based off him. <laughs> Can you imagine someone on the team is just like bringing up pop stars in the workplace and they were in the workplace, like break room or something, and everyone is just like, what the fuck are you watching? Like, where do you, like, why are you watching these Yankees, like, trying to, like, sell, like, trying to sell, like, their stupid bullshit or something. It's like, no, no, this is good. This is good. He's selling, he's selling a wicked-ass, like, Coca-Cola, like, 50s Coca-Cola machine. <laughs> oh, man, it's it's like, uh, it reminds me of how, uh, you remember the story of how uh, the creation of Panty and Stocking was, where it's like, uh, Hiroyuki Imaishi and a bunch of other Studio Gainax guys were on vacation in the U.S., and they were just getting drunk in their hotel room, and they were just watching Drawn Together, and that's where the inspiration came from. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, that's great. Great bit of animation there, man. I mean, great bit of inspiration. So, so maybe someone on in Studio Trigger, maybe Yo-Yo Shinari, who knows, like, went on vacation in the States, got super drunk, like, friggin' legless in their room, and then was just watching Pawn Stars and thinking, like, man, I want to make a cameo of this guy in the next show I do. Oh, that's great. Actually, we're seeing that actually now, but it's with Rick and Morty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like people, like people, like uh, people in the anime industry, lo- like love Rick and Morty. It seems because I, I don't know what what else could explain there being like two anime shorts from Japan <laughs> concerning Rick and Morty. A short that even aired on Toonami. Like that baffles my mind. And it's like, I feel Trigger really likes making references that's only for Western audiences. Like, in the in the first little, in the uh, original Little Witch Academia short films, there were references to, like, My Little Pony, or, like, at one point in the Enchanted Parade, you saw characters like Dipper and Mabel from Gravity Falls, Connie from Steven Universe, and even friggin' Rebecca Sugar and Ian Jones Cordy in, like, a crowd shot in the second film. I mean, they have good connections, like, to the West, so, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> Uh, I like that. I like that about Trigger, though. I really do like that about Trigger that they are like pretty well connected with their their uh, their friends from the West. And this even goes all the way back to their Gainax days with like the South Park jokes and Fully Cooley and Panty and Stocking. Yeah, you can even see it as far back as there that they had this like real appreciation for uh, American animation. And just like, hey, we'll throw it in. We know that our target audience wouldn't get it, but like the the overseas audience, they're gonna love it. They're gonna go like, ah, good job, guys. Makes me want to see like a video where like they just get together some animators and show them some like clips from animated TV shows and just like gauge their reaction. Like what they did with like Junji Ito, like watching like horror videos, like cat videos or something. Get Yo Shinari, Yo Shinari, and just like have him watch like uh, Big Mouth or something. <laughs> show him like like some found some good stuff, of course, but then like show him like some really lowbrow shit like uh, Brickleberry. <laughs> yeah, someone <laughs> someone get inspired to make an anime based off Brickleberry. <laughs> we saw the show Brickleberry, and we were just so inspired when we uh, when we saw the uh, large woman uh, spew uh, shit from her ass on the uh, giant on the on the giant game show wheel. We really thought that was we really thought that would make for an interesting visual in our new upcoming show. Yeah, we hear uh, we hear find uh, this uh, Daniel Tosh. He's uh, he's actually very much an underrated. Uh person in the industry you know like people people should really take more inspiration from him like we did you know why why doesn't anyone else <laughs> uh i gotta stop myself there because i could go hours with yeah that. <laughs> we kind of went off on a thing there <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a while but in in this magic item cafe the girls find the legendary broom the shooting star ah yeah eat shit nimbus 2000 and 2001 and Akko wants this broom, but Chumley's all like, uh-uh-uh, as the shooting star has a bit of a temper, you see, so it's been sealed away, never to be flown again by anyone, as he just has it just chained up as it's just rustling in this kind of box where it's just clamped into the box. Oh, yeah, I love, I like, it's, like, cool little design to it as well. Yeah, it is, I, I, I love this thing, it's just... This alive broom. Well, as we will see later in the series, it also like fig- it also does figure in like some other ways as well as we will see. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's back to the drawing board as Lote and Susie come up with a bunch of different ways to help Akko learn how to fly a broom, and I love all these Looney Tunes s stunts that they try. Where like 
where they try to have her like they tie uh, a rope to the broom and they try to have pull her that way or like they put her in a cannon and try to fire her out of a cannon to fly the broom <laughs> just <laughs> it's it's just it's like these are all like storyboard gags like i'm pretty sure everyone's just thinking like oh, okay what would be funny for them for them to have akko do it's like ah shoot her out of a cannon it's like that's perfect write that it's just my kind of silly it's just my kind of silly it is it's just you just turn it on and you just like have a lot of fun with this and in the middle of these broom flying stunts we're introduced to amanda o'neill from the u.s played here by marianne Marin miller and her friends constance amelie von broschbank alzeberger i hopefully i pronounced that right from germany played here by jennifer alex pulling double duty and jasminka otenoko from russia played here by stephanie shea pulling double duty and so we, we kind of hinted at him earlier when we were talking about the Enchanted Parade, but uh, what do you think of Amanda and her friends? These three uh, debuted in the Enchanted Parade, and um, I gotta say, they, they all uh, impressed me from the very good get-go, because uh, the people at Trigger knew exactly uh, like what great jokes they could pull with each of these. <laughs> like, I'll say right now, Amanda O'Neill is like my third like tiebreaker for like my, my third tied character for the series that i love it just from the very get-go in the original film like they they do like a joke uh mugshot of her for like her uh for all the trouble she's done she's just flipping off the camera she's kind of pulling like the the star lord from the guardians of the galaxy just going like uh, uh i don't know i don't know this thing's already up i can't i don't know what to deal with this but she's like a delinquent and but she's like a like fiery red-haired like delinquent that like just doesn't take any shit from anyone at the academy <laughs> and just kind of does her own thing and she's uh she's built as a bit of like a as a bit of like a thrill seeker and also a little bit of like a grifter as well. I mean, I like she, uh, I love her so much. I love her so much. Her and Susie, man, like those are mm, so strong. Cuz I just love cuz I just love delinquent characters like this. I just love them so much, like the the kinds of people who are, you know, lovably dickish to a, to an acceptable degree. Yeah, like Amanda's the coolest, and of course, someone like her is from the U.S. because like she can't be from anywhere else. Oh, of course. I, I thought I, when I heard that, I was just like, oh my god, of course. Like they they make the they make the annoying rebellious girl like the <laughs> they're like straight from the U.S. Yeah, I just look at her and I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and also, uh, always a pleasure to hear Marianne Miller. Like they, they're awesome. I love anytime I hear them in any anime. Oh yes, this is what this is what endeared me to them like pretty well here. Because I guess I just heard Amanda O'Neill, and I was just like, please do more roles, please. This is a voice I want to hear more of. Like I, I feel like ever since we saw Marianne with uh, Little Kribo back uh, at a con back in twenty. Uh, 14 like we were just getting drunk and just saying things that we can't repeat here on the podcast we were just so charmed by them just like we want more marianne like we need to see them more and more because they were just just so charming yeah so yeah fantastic role here for for, uh for marianne and so the day of the relay is here as in order to compensate for akko's lack of flying the girls use a bunch of sneaky tricks such as using susie's concoctions to cause the other students brooms to root themselves into the ground so they can get a head start and also to make Akko's broom hop around like a frog so she can't fly but she can at least still move around and I like another bit where Susie puts up a trail of donuts to lead Jasminka off course because of course she's the she's the she's the food girl <laughs> uh, just, just masterfully showing off the goofiness of the series in like this episode 
And uh, we also get to see, uh, during this race, uh, Constance's tech gimmick on display as she flies a custom electric-powered broom. And I love her gimmick. The combination of magic and machines are, are just really cool. I also just love the gimmick that she's just, like, pouty and, like, doesn't like people and, like, is just, like, only concerned with her machines. Her machines, which are not, like, legal within uh, Luna Nova, either. No, like, if you remember in the Enchanted Parade, that's, like, what got her in trouble, is that she just kept using... Invent inventions and machines and they're like no you got to use magic and she just keeps building up all these little mini robots and like mechanical wands and stuff it's a gimmick that works really well and like her constant like stonewalling silence is just funny and how she just like only speaks with grunts yeah that, that... <laughs> oh man like if, if we ever see her actress and like at like a convention in the future we gotta ask her to like just you know Give us a little bit of Constance there, okay? Give us some reacts. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and we also see that Amanda has a trick up her sleeve as she overheard everything about the legendary shooting star. So she actually just straight up stole it to use for herself. <laughs> uh, but it proves to be too wild for her to handle. Yes, it breaks loose and then runs into Akko. And then we get an amazing bit of Akko flying with shooting star as it's just visual eye candy, as she's desperately hanging on to this broom, and it's just flying all over the world, you know, going through different time zones, different times of the day, flying next to airplanes. You see someone on the plane going, looking at her, going like Shatner, like something's on the wing. It's so <laughs> cool. Not going anywhere near the finish line either. No, and I'm pretty sure this entire trip is taking, like, probably more than a day. <laughs> And I love how, like, w at one point, Akko tries to get onto the broom, and she brings... We get the callback to the cannon from earlier in the episode, as she just runs, pushing this cannon, jumps into it, uses her wand to light it, and then just shoots herself towards the shooting star. <laughs> and so Akko manages to gain control of the shooting star by chaining herself to it, as the race turns into a one-on-one -on -one battle between her and Diana. Akko looks like she's gonna win until shooting star breaks free and flies away. As Diana wins the race, and Akko comes in second. And Diana seems to be, have a bit of a growing respect for Akko here, you know. The fact that she came this this close and was able to momentarily control the shooting star kind of kind of impressed her a bit. But th that finish was cool. Oh, just great, great episode here. So moving on, I want to talk about how uh, we get uh, certain characters get some time to shine here. And uh, one of them is Lote. I want to mention, like, uh, in her episode where she gets her shining moment, uh, it, it starts off with... Akko and the girls getting in trouble for stealing pies. <laughs> pies of all things. Wooly the liar would be proud. <laughs> I, just, I just have this image in my head of them just sneaking up to a pie, cooling on a windowsill, and just like snatching it, and then the person who baked it just going like, huh, where'd my pie go? <laughs> and they're just in the bushes, just like each having slices, going like, ah, oh, no one will ever know. <laughs> uh, but what, what does make it a good Lote episode? Ah, as this, uh, we've kind of find more about uh, her interests outside of uh, school, and just get, as she's a bit of a bookish girl, and uh, apparently she's also a big twihard, <laughs> or rather, Nightfall, as it's called in the series. I mean, I guess they had to make like a young adult like novel reference in the series. Like this was like the the prime time period to do this, and you are you are dealing with a story about like young girls as well, so. You know, it's prime territory for writing. And, like, you remember the stuff from the book she talks about? Because, like, it's a really, really weird book. Where, like, we get plot points where it's about, about characters. Like, some of the plot points are, like, 
a character catching a bomb with their hands or going into space, winning an acapella World Cup, or like the leading guys lending each other a shoehorn. Like it's just a bunch of the weirdest plot. I want to read this. <laughs> I'll read it. <laughs> but yeah, they get in trouble for stealing pies or a tart, as they clarify, which is three times more expensive than a pie. And they so so uh, they have to like uh, do some chores around Luna Nova in in order to pay for that. But uh, they manage to sneak away to get to this uh, fair that's uh, all about Nightfall in t- in town. Yeah, but like what still unfolds is like a sweet little story about um, uh, just uh, uh, Lote just indulging her uh, just indulging her like own interests a little bit and having a little adventure where she comes across the uh, the author of the book that she likes. Yeah, and, like, she gets caught up into this uh, uh, trivia competition where, like, uh, she wins, and apparently the winner of the competition has to be the new author of the book, as apparently since this book has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, it has different authors, and they pass each other down from, like, generation to generation. And this generation's author doesn't want to do the books anymore because she feels doesn't feel much confidence in her work. But then Lote is able to convince her to stay because she tells her that some of her favorite works from the book were written by her. And that was able to like give her some motivation, and it was actually pretty sweet seeing like this character, this like one-off character who doesn't have much confidence in herself, actually regain that confidence thanks to Lote here, just showing her that saying, "Hey, I really love your work. I would love. I would be really sad if you stopped going." You know, I like that little. I like that little um, positivity towards uh, one's creativity. That, that that's even like an angle that you can see come up even a little bit later on in the series as well. I mean, I mean, Little Witch Academia has got to know that, like, they are existing within the realms of, like, that they are existing within the realms of, like, uh, young adult fiction. Not just in, like, animation, but, like, all across the board. So, yeah, of course, like, they're going to be conscious of that. And, of course, they're probably going to have, and, of course, I think it's natural for them to want to uh, do stories pertaining to that. And also, uh, one thing I really did like about this uh, episode is that uh, it was nice to kind of see Lote show a bit of her enthusiasm about something. Because before that, we see more mostly Akko and also Susie show enthusiasm in magic and poison and all that. But getting to see her fangirl about something is actually really sweet. Yeah, she has a she has a nice little hobby. And also, I like the little subtle joke in this episode where, like, uh, during the the convention, Lote becomes friends with a Big Ben cosplayer going around and then like at the very end of the episode Akko talks about how she noticed the cosplayer go into the ley line right before them and then in like one of the last shots in the background you can see uh, one of the professors was that big bang cosplayer professor babcock (laughs) (laughs) i didn't notice it the first time but this time around i'm just like ah that's nice i like that yeah so moving on, we get another introduction here as Luna Nova is getting ready to host a welcome party for Earl Paul Hombridge, played here by Joe Ackman, as well as his son, Andrew, played here by Lucen Dodge, who makes all the girls go sploosh. Uh, but what do you think of Andrew? Well, his episode largely concerns um, uh, the, the attitude of the wider world, which is that um, uh, magic is sort of becoming obsolete in these ways. Um, it's, 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 but it's one of those concepts in the series that I think, um, I don't know, is like, could have been like tweaked a little bit. Cause like you, cause like Andrew is, is of the, Andrew is this character who is, uh, from the outside world. He doesn't, he doesn't perform magic or anything. He's just from like an influential family who has a stake in the magic world and, um, magic users place in it. And you do kind of sense this, like there is this sort of like attitude propagated between him and like the people he knows in the circle that magic is becoming kind of obsolete. 
But I think the series, um, I think the series could have just done a little bit better job of like showing how <laughs> how is that possible? <laughs> it's magic. Science can't do any of this. Nah, man, magic can be boring sometimes, you know. Because <laughs> like it's one thing I can I can understand one thing if like magic can be seen like every if, if magic is used by like everyone, you know, so it has the, that good use. I don't know. Well, actually, no, I think it does. Because don't, don't they say in the series that um, only like a select few people can like use magic in the world? Like there aren't really that many magic users in the world left. I mean, you think that would be, you think that would create you think that would that would mean people would want to create like a surplus of magic users though, since they can still do useful stuff with that. But um, I don't know. It's it's one of those. De- it's I think mm, even another thing about it. Maybe it was actually more. Uh, it was better done than I initially thought. But um, no, Andrew. I don't know. Maybe I could have used a little more tweaking, but uh, no. Andrew is Andrew is the character that uh, represents that worldview for us, and he and he gets it across pretty well as he doesn't really as he's very no nonsense. Oh yeah, definitely. And it turns out that Andrew is actually an old acquaintance of Diana's, so, so they used to be childhood friends back in the day. And so, meanwhile, while all this is going on, Akko is having trouble practicing her metamorphosis magic as she accidentally gives herself animal ears. And I wonder if uh, Akko turning herself into a bunny inspired Trigger making a BNA a few years later. <laughs> Could be, potentially. Well, they like, they like their animals. I mean, hey, the next episode involves Akko, Lotte, and Susie turning into fish. <laughs> and uh, speaking of which, there's actually, there's actually some uh, Little Witch Academia Easter eggs in BNA. Like, he, he, you can kind of see, like, uh, I think there's like... Oh, one yeah, I heard about them as well, yeah. Yeah, you can kind of see Akko, Susie, and Lotte. You can see, like, figures of, like, Bunny Akko, like... Uh, the main character Michu puts on the Lunanova hat at one point. I mean, they they are very self-referential with their works. <laughs> yeah. So Akko decides that if she's going to be able to perform her metamorphosis magic, she's going to have to get more power. And the only way to get that power is to search for the Fountain of Polaris. During this, she happens to run into Andrew, and the two have their first meeting, in which the two start talking about their feelings about magic, and that's where we get uh, Andrew's uh, feelings, where he has a very strong disinterest in magic and just has no time for it. And here I thought, huh, a rich boy with no time for magic. Seto Kaiba would be proud of this guy. <laughs> Even if it was having it all around him, like, no, still don't believe it. You're not gonna get, you're not gonna get it out of me. <laughs> you know, it's like I've been going through a big Yu-Gi-Oh rewatch this summer during the quarantine, and I'm just like, dude, how are you not believing in this? Are you that dense? <laughs> you got sent to Egypt during a duel. What the fuck, man? <laughs> well, well, like Andrew, Andrew's stick here is not that he doesn't believe in magic. It's more that, like, you know, it's it doesn't have much of a use. He's just more like, eh, sure, you can do something cool, like make make the Statue of Liberty disappear. But what have you done for me lately? <laughs> so Akko tries to show Andrew the good in magic, but that results in inadvertently giving him animal ears and a tail. Well, the point is, you tried, Akko. So in order to change themselves back to normal, the two look for and find the Fountain of Polaris. And it's at this point I start to notice that, man, there's a lot of abandoned ruins around Luna Nova. Yeah, well, it could just be like a little bit of a rundown place. They probably just need to refurbish it a little bit. Magic, magic can only do so well, but like, you know, can it like lacquer and tile, tile your 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 surroundings in a very nice, tasteful manner? I mean, they mentioned that the school is going through some financial troubles in this episode, but I didn't think it was that bad that they leave like just dissolute buildings everywhere and just going like yeah we'll we'll build new ones and salvage the salvage what we can and so they make it to the fountain of polaris which is guarded by a bear 
Yeah, Polaris, the North Star, which is the constellation of Ursa Minor, which translates to Little Bear. Eh, eh. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious, but you know, it's they they do it pretty well. It's a nice touch. So they're able to evade the bear, and they arrive at the fountain. And the scene where Akko approaches the fountain, and uh, we get uh, flashbacks to a young chariot's life. That was really, really good. I really enjoyed that scene. Oh yeah, well, well like the, the the thing is, is that they have to kind of like set that stuff up uh, pretty well because it figures in much later on. So yeah, they got to pepper in the bit of the backstory with uh, uh, shining shining chariot there. Yeah, this is like pretty much all latter latter half end game stuff that they're setting up here. And so it's it's too soon for Akko to visit the Fountain of Polaris, but it was the same for Chariot, and eventually she got better and was able to gain the magic power from the fountain. And that's where Akko learns the lesson that she can't just get magic power from the fountain. She has to put in the work and earn it, and that's what motivates her to, like, really buckle down and try to learn the Metamorphosis magic, as well as, like, any other magic spell that comes her way throughout the rest of the series. Just a neat little way it tries to get across... Uh growth in Akko in these uh, little episodes. Yeah, and you can see that she really does take these lessons to heart in this episode and in other episodes, too. So, Akko and Andrew are returned to normal with the help of Ursula, who promises to keep all this on the down low. And so, Andrew leaves the school with his father, who confides to Andrew that he's planning to have Luna Nova closed down. Like, yikes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got an idea. If the school is going to be shut down, I know one way we can save it. Why don't we turn into a for-profit school? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my idea, but that's also a good idea. You get fucking advertisers in the school. You gotta have like plastic them everywhere. You gotta do like that one King of the Hill episode where you have like the vending machines and the and the tickers. <laughs> then, we got your Yamazaki whiskey. We got your pizza law. <laughs> we got your Nico 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 Doga. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no! The idea I the idea I had is like school shutting down. Let's gather nine of our best and brightest and cutest girls and turn them into school idols. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, can they work? You got the magic going for it. <laughs> Could you imagine how much of a different series this would have been if, like, Akko instead just wanted to make, like, an idol group and just, like, have them, like, act in the vein of Shining Chariot? <laughs> in another world. In another world. Love Live Little Witch Project. <laughs> uh, only in my wildest dreams but uh, next thing I want to talk about is uh, the ultimate fan favorite episode of the series and for good reason the adventures in Susie land now I don't think we need to like dwell too long on this one because I think because again not a whole lot of plot happens in this one and also like why like why talk so much about this one when you really need to just like see it yeah because like this one is like Audio doesn't do this one justice. Like, I will can go through and summarize this episode, but, like, this is just me saying, like, hey, just, you know, if you want to pause it, pause this podcast, go watch the episode, be my guest. I can wait. I mean, I can summarize it real quick for you <laughs> and why it's one of my favorite episodes of the series. Susie <laughs> concocts a potion in which she's going to attain uh, unimaginable uh, magic power um, consumes it and, and drinks herself into a coma. <laughs> and so Akko has to go into the mind of Susie and try and bring her out of her coma uh, before her coma triggers the mushroom apocalypse across the world. <laughs> and in the process, Akko gets a very freaky look inside the mind of Susie. And goddamn, it is so funny. Like, the one thing I like, like, before she goes into Susie's dreams, I love how the spell to get in is just 
Lote whacking her over the head with her wand and knocking her out. <laughs> well, the real meat of the episode comes then when she actually goes into uh, Susie's uh, dream world, all like so, all like psychonauts or something, where she's like meeting all these like different versions of Susie that just completely impede her progress, and like one even turns into a monster and tries to devour her. But like, there's even like some there. there she even like sees like a, a drive-through movie that's like an old-fashioned, old-timey, uh, black and white cartoon showing uh, Susie and like the people in like her school life and stuff. And uh, even as a as a quick little poignant scene too, where like she kind of, in her own weird way, kind of uh, respects and honors and loves her friendship with Akko. Uh, it 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 has that it. It's it's a very goofy episode, but still has that underlying pathos to it that makes it very very memorable. Man, my favorite movie, Akko the Unlucky Witch in Manhattan Madness. Akko runs afoul of an Irishman. Look out, Akko! He's Irish. <laughs> yeah, Akko. Oh, an, an episode I can watch numerous times and numerous times. And like you mentioned, all the different Susies. Like we we have like a, a Star Wars Susie, Your Name Susie, Godzilla Susie, Lazy Susie, Impatient Susie, Obsessed Susie, Angry Susie. Like there's just so many different the Susie that likes to spit. So it's just like a llama. <laughs> there's also like one Susie that doesn't fit the mold and gets arrested. It, where it's like this little nice girl, and they're like, nah. We don't want any of that here. You're kind of like breaking the natural order of Susie Land. <laughs> uh, Akko just being ping ponged between like the, the 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 various all equally shitty personalities of Susie, and it's 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 a great time. Oh yeah, and also like the punishment for like uh, the little girl's nice Susie, and also all the other the the other outliers is they get sent they get sentenced to. Termination. In this case, it's being submitted to a guillotine. <laughs> a guillotine run by Pyramid Head from Silent Hill, in probably the most respect the the Silent Hill franchise has gotten in ages. <laughs> and like, I love that they do like the whole terminate, terminate, terminate in the same. It's basically the same style as the Broken Mad Hardy. Delete, delete, delete. And this is also a standout episode for both um, uh, Susie's actress, both Japanese and English, because uh, the, these actresses had to pull off so many personalities for all these different Susies in here. Uh, fantastic job. Really fantastic job. Oh, yeah. Just can of Coke to both of you. It's so as good. As far as like voice acting, like flexing goes in the series, <laughs> Susie's actresses take the cake. Just the fact that they have to like they're playing Susie, but they have to like change their tones only slightly to play like different variations of her. Many different variations, while still maintaining that same character. Must have been a field day for them. <laughs> uh, must have been fun in the booth. And uh, I do, I like the ending of this one. It's pretty great. Where like uh, Akko has managed to find like uh, the one true Susie sleeping within the bowels of her mind, and the only way to do it is have her drink a potion. But like since the Susie is sleeping, she can't do it. So Akko chugs a bunch of di different potions he swiped from like susie's like stash and was about and the intention is that uh she was going to make her drink it by kissing her and like uh susie's just all like just immediately wakes up don't you dare <laughs> don't you don't even fucking try it don't even think about it i don't do i don't do any kind of affection <laughs> especially for you like you're the last person akko that i would want to kiss <laughs> friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
And, you know, like, this uh, this whole thing at the end of the episode reminds me of, like, an exact similar scene in uh, Soul Leader Not, where this pretty much happens, except the kiss actually does happen. Hey, at least somebody liked Soul Leader Not. <laughs> that person is me. <laughs> and only me. <laughs> I, I, I own it. I own it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, it was all a dream. As we see, like, one little mushroom pop up and it's saying, like, ah... Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, who knows? Mm. <laughs> One of the best episodes. Honestly, I feel like this episode, you can show this to like a newcomer, saying like, hey, check this out, tell me what you think of it, maybe you can give this series a try. I mean, no, like, because that's like one of the knocks I would give, uh, That's no, that's one of the... It's one of the praises I give to Little Witch Academia. Um, this feels like a solid anime just show to a first-timer that wants to get into anime. You know, some people probably had other works, like, you know, Pokemon, that's fine. You know, like, a lot of kids like Pokemon, they get into the games first or whatever, and then they get into the anime. That one's fine. Little Witch Academia, though, is, like, pretty solid all around for a first-timer. Like, it, like the animation really does epitomize the, the best of what you can see in the industry. Um, character writing, story writing, everything very solid, humor, excellent. Uh, everything is just like all around like very solid to such a degree and it's also also safe enough for kids <laughs> that's another angle <laughs> as much as much praise as i would give to like a show like to like kill a kill or something um i would not show that to somebody who is like trying to get new into anime and it's like sorry it looks great but like it is it is you you don't go straight into like crack or something you start out with like, you start out with like weed <laughs> yeah this is this is pot for anime fans like little witch academia it's, it's just some like good ass like good dank ass weed it's a gateway drug man <laughs> 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 but like uh, the way that one thing that really helps the series being very like available towards everyone is the fact that uh it's tvy7 on netflix so it's pretty much good for all ages yeah so consumer way on to the next thing i want to talk about is uh just another fun, wacky episode where, like, uh, the girls have uh, trouble with, like, a, a bee that runs amok where it causes everyone, to, it stings to fall in love with the first person they see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's another episode, it's another, like, fairly, like, low-stakes episode where, um, really the only, like, advancement that really goes on is just, um, you know, between, like, Akko and Andrew, but, um, no, it, it proves itself to be, uh, quite the funny episode. Yeah, where they, like, go to a party at Andrew's mansion that they find out that Diana's attending. And then just, like, while at the party, just Susie just has this bee, the Cupid bee. And she just releases it because just why not? She just wants to have some fun. It's a bee that flies around, and if it stings you, you fall into the first person you are uh, looking at. And when you see that person, you see them as all be shoujo. <laughs> as we get a shoujo Akko when Andrew gets stung, then, like... Andrew's friends get stung and they see Bishojo Lote. <laughs> uh, it's quite, it's quite adorable. <laughs> it's like it's like I've seen this kind of plot before, but like it does it in such like a charming way that like it comes across as a, a original. I like the one back and forth between Akko and Susie in this one, where like uh, Akko says, "Can't you fix this, Susie?" And then Susie's like, "But seeing you suffer brings me so much joy." And I'm like, "That's it. That's their friendship in a nutshell." <laughs> <laughs> Is that well? I th I think some people will have those like kinds of friends where they're all like, you know what, you're a piece of shit, but you're but you're my piece of shit. You're my piece of shit. No one can do what I do to you. 
I think that's the kind of friend I try to strive to be in some situations. Like, you try to I don't be know how successful I am, but like, you, you know, try to be I the like, piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> the piece of shit that is like that, that is for everyone. That is for everyone. You know. Uh, I think I could great. do better, but uh, <laughs> it's what I strive for. Yeah, once the world opens up again, you can have more practice. Yeah, I can. I can. I can be a piece. I can be. A, I can freely be a piece of shit again. Uh, uh, another bit I like is that uh, Diana gets stung and then she falls in love with Akko and I like how like other people saw Akko as all be shoujo but uh, Diana sees Akko as more Ikemen look it up and I Uh, like how (laughs) and I like for that bit uh, Erica Mendez kind of shifts her voice to like her to kind of a similar tone as like uh, Haruka Tenno Sailor Uranus from Sailor Moon when Akko goes Diana Oh, yeah, yeah, I do kind of remember that inflection she has to it. I like that a lot. And then Diana turns into, like, a shy, lovesick teenager. She's all like, uh, I love you so much, Akko. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but, we, like, during this episode, we do also get a, uh, a nice bit of uh, character work between Akko and Andrew. As um, even, even, though he's, um, even though he's, like, the first person to be stung in the situation and falls for Akko, uh, you can still sense uh, underneath that some, like, burgeoning... Um, uh, some burgeoning uh, respect that he kind of has for her, or at least, or at least he's like kind of starting to warm up to her. Yeah, it's really sweet. And whether him warming up to her is because of the bee, or if he's actually charmed by her, it's up for interpretation. Like WWE's booking, it's fifty-fifty. Yeah, and of course, you can't do an episode about a bee and not play Flight of the Bumblebee at least once. I mean, that was a nice touch. I like that. <laughs> yeah, and and plus, it's like a very nice uh, little piano performance of it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this was definitely a nice, fun one, especially after another nice, fun one with Susie Land. So good back-to-back fun episodes. I mean, early in the series is the time to pull these off, and they're not the only ones. So on to what is essentially the last arc of the first half, as Akko wants to learn more about Chariot's disappearance, and she's wondering, huh, wonder if Professor Ursula knows Chariot. And I'm like, ah, I don't know, that's about as likely as Clark Kent knowing Superman. Ironically enough, they both wear glasses, so hmm. Weird. Clark Kent just had to like uh, change his hair color, you know, and he wouldn't have been all set. Yeah, you know, maybe like be a little bit more schlubbier. Lois, I dared, I dyed my hair neon red today. <laughs> <laughs> what do I think? Does it make me look less like Superman? <laughs> what if I get rid of this little curl in front of my hair? Nah, I actually kind of like it. I'm, I'm sure people won't notice it's me. <laughs> what do you think, Jimmy? And on the other hand, maybe I'm kind of glad they never went like too far with like uh, the disguise angle in the original creation. Like somebody wears glasses and like he just changes his posture a little bit. Like at least they make up some Kryptonian bullshit. Like oh yes, all Kryptonians, we can immediately change our physical body structure to look more schlubby. And I can also uh, change the color of my hair whenever I want and go completely bald <laughs> if I choose to. <laughs> and if and if the jig is really up, then I can just pull a uh, pull a Superman two and just kiss you, and then you magically forget about it. You know. This this is all Kryptonian stuff that like you you just you just need to know, okay? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So then we get the big overall plot to the series as that gets underway as we learn about the seven words of Arctuous. As Octo already unknowingly activated the first of the seven words in the first episode, and now six remain. And meanwhile, the teachers of Luna Nova discuss how magic is literally disappearing from the world, and Diana looks into the history behind an ancient power that the uh, nine old witches sealed up centuries ago. And in her studies, Diana discovers that this ancient power is sealed in the Arctuous Forest and can only be released when the shiny rod activates all seven words. 
And when all seven words are activated, they have the power to break the the seal of the Grand Triskelion, which is world-altering magic. So that's the big thing of this series, especially in the second half. Right, right. It's the big, powerful magic. But meanwhile, meanwhile, recalling a legend about an all-knowing spirit who only appears on the night of a blue moon, Akko takes the shiny rod with her to a place known as Blue Moon Abyss. And once again, more ancient ruins on Lunar Grounds. Kind of got to work on these. Work on the cleanup here, guys. Yeah, there's just areas that, like, as far as we know, nobody just goes to at all, and they just exist there. You know, it's kind of like uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, the abandoned dorms. It's like, yeah, we'd rather not destroy it, but it'd just be too much money. So we're just saying, like, hey, you're on the honor system. Just don't just don't go anywhere near there, okay? Great. Yeah. And uh, there we get a big uh, scene with Akka where she confronts uh, what, what is supposedly Chariot, but it turns out to be the ghost of the blue moon. And I'll splice you in the scene because it's actually pretty good.
useless past. Nice, well, nice to have the main con- like the main driving conceit of the plot to finally come up for this episode. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think the scene's really great. It shows how much Akko has grown thus far in the series, and shows how much she treasures all the memory she has up to this point. Because the thing is, like, the ghost is like, okay, I can give you this power that you want. I can give you your dreams and your desires, but you have to give up something important to you, and that something important is all the memories you've had right now, if you get rid of all that, then your dream can come true. You can be just like Shiny Chariot. But she's just like, as much as I want that, I don't want to lose everything that I have up at this point. Yeah, just reaffirms her as a good protagonist. And you know, as much as she's been struggling, it's like, that's not stopping her, you know? She's just having some troubles, but she takes every misstep as like a learning experience. And if she truly wants to be a great witch like Chariot, she has to learn how to grow from every mistake, you know? Failure isn't the end of the journey. Yes, yes, very good lesson to teach. And it turns out all this was just a big test, and Akko passed with flying colors and has spoken the second of the seven words. And then now it's time for the big thing of this uh, final arc, which is the Samhain Festival. As Akko vows to mass metamorphosis magic and by, by then so she can become the Moonlit Witch. Yes, Samhain, Samhain. I'm trying to like remember where that word came from. I think it's. I think the word relates to Samhain. Which has like some connections to Halloween. Oh yeah, I definitely remember hearing that word a lot in uh, Ghostbusters, either the movies or the series. Yeah, it did kind of come up there a little bit because you know naturally, like Ghostbusters, Halloween. Naturally, you're gonna make that connection. But uh, oh, one thing I really want to bring up first is like a, a little subtle detail, like around this time where like uh, all the students are like reading the school newspaper about the guests that are coming in for the Samhain festival, and uh, on the back of the newspaper they're reading. You can actually see a story uh, about the shooting star broom from the ver- from early in the series. Oh yeah, I love that! Like the shooting star broom is still shooting across the earth wildly, <laughs> and nobody's done anything to stop it. It's like it's a running gag kind of Z plot to the series, where like anytime, anytime someone reads a newspaper, just on the very back, you can see like a little headline that says "shooting star seen in Russia" or "shooting star seen in Ireland." 
I love that detail. It's great to see that they try to keep it in. The, they try to keep it like active in the world. Just a subtle plot for like any eagle-eyed viewers. It's so good. <laughs> and so for the Sawan Festival, a bunch of students groups get uh, assigned different tasks for the festival. And uh, Akko, Lote, and Susi, they get the unfortunate assignment of being sacrifices for the festival, which means they will be eaten and then pooped out by a ghost called Vaharoi. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently this is like a yearly tradition for this festival, where it's just basically meant to bring good luck for Luna Nova. And Susi is very interested. <laughs> She's weirdly too interested in this she's really into the idea of being eaten and digested and pooped out like when they're all together talking about it she's just like in her bed kind of like curled up going like ah i can't wait for this for the festival the sacrifice it's gonna be amazing i wonder how the the ghost mouth feels Uh, seriously, you're so fucking weird. <laughs> just everyone hears her talk about it, and they just take like a big step to the side, going like, "Anyway, <laughs> just <laughs> ignore her." Okay, I'm gonna be touching with you with gloves from now on. You know, like I'm gonna, you know, we're in the time of social distancing, and I'm just gonna like, you know, they say six feet. I'm gonna like double that to twelve feet. <laughs> Magic magically pushes Susie with <laughs> like social di- distancing feet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also, we find out that uh, Amanda, Constance, and Jasmine don't fear- fare well as they're put on cleaning duty. So, like, hey, after that, they're gonna have to clean up all that poop that the ghost craps out. Ew. But uh, I want to bring up uh, how, like, uh, the scene of them, like, all talking together about, like, uh, their tasks for the festival. And it's definitely a nod to the Enchanted Parade, because that's, like, the opening scene where they're all, like, in the room together and they're just talking about, like, what they're doing next. Oh, definitely. Yeah, just, like, I I like these nice little nods to, like, the, the old movies. And then, meanwhile, Akko gets into, like, some hijinks with a magic mirror that turns her into Diana, so she just takes this opportunity to just fuck around. Yeah, kind of a... It, it doesn't last very long, though. It's, like, just a very brief little uh, repose. Yeah, but she does take this opportunity to mess with Hannah and Barbara by telling them that, that they're cursed, and the only way to release this curse is to put their hands on their heads and then ha- get, like, kiss face paint. <laughs> okay, that was funny. And then Barbara gets the worst of it because she has to look like Peter Chris. And I'm like, nobody wants to be Peter Chris, not even Peter Chris. <laughs> so Akko and Ursula have a really nice heart to heart afterwards, which is followed up by a great scene where Akko goes to the Fountain of Polaris and witnesses a flashback to a young chariot from the POV of a certain mystery person. Wonder who could this be? Second half, second half. Gotta get ready for the second half. So Akko's goal of being the Moonlit Witch changes as she sees that Chariot cared more about simply bringing joy to others with her magic rather than striving to be the Moonlit Witch. Akko figures out what she can do for the festival. And since Akko is a show woman... We're we're in the business of putting smiles on Fiel's faces here. And so the festival is underway and all the performances will be judged by the special guests and Luna Nova alums of Marjolaine, Erla, and Dorlin. This, This whole thing, this whole scene with like the festival performances, like... This all looks like a bad school talent show. I mean, it is pretty much just that. <laughs> and I've seen plenty of bad school talent shows in my younger days. Hey, at least we didn't see, at least we didn't see the Luna Nova uh, chorus <laughs> go off. <laughs> Singing double, double toil and trouble with frogs. <laughs> but uh, Diana's the main event and everyone's all like, oh, thank God. Finally with someone with actual talent and someone who isn't a total geek. As she wows everyone, and she pretty much puts herself in the running for being the Moonlit Witch. 
But after that, it's time for Akko and friends to give us a little razzle-dazzle. And while this is mostly a visual scene, we give, there's some commentary in there that'll give you listeners out there an idea of what's going on. So I shall splicey. Yeah, but right here we just have uh, Akko just trying to just working like her own personal magic, even though she doesn't have a lot of skill herself. Uh, she she does try to like work the magic of uh, you know just making people smile right here, and um, it's a real big character defining moment for her. And this also really gets over how big Akko's heart is. Like she feels the Vaharoi has been feeling upset for years and years and years, and she just wants to cheer the giant ghost up a little while putting smiles on the faces of the crowd. 
I mean, it's a creature that just gets like brought out once a year. It's like you, like it's it's like it's like the 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 Punxsutawney Phil of like Luna Nova. <laughs> they just bring it out once per year, like humiliate it, and then like everyone is just like, ah, good luck in the future and shit, and, you know. And then it just like just, it just remains like sad, you know, because it used to be like a person in its previous life. And like it, it got like a bad, it, it got a bad run of life. Yeah, I'd be at sub two if my like my afterlife is just me being trotted out once a year to eat three girls and poop them out. But for like a good, but it makes for like a great win- midway marker for the series as we just show uh, Akko and her friends demonstrating that like you know just like you know magic isn't just about like wonder and stuff. You know, it's also about like empathy and like improving the lives of others. You know, and uh, they make a good run of trying to. Uh, just bring a smile and bring some laughter out of this uh, being that has experienced nothing but suffering in life. Again, the animation is just gorgeous, with especially Akko's metamorphosis, where she transforms into like a bunch of different animals, including Dumbo the flying elephant. Yeah, and actually getting a pretty good reaction from from the crowd, surprisingly. Yeah, even the judges too. They're all like, "Okay, we thought Diana was good, but like this girl, she's really bringing us something." And so Ursula finds an item called the Vaharoi Vestige, and we find out that Vaharoi was actually a princess who had swallowed a seed of sorrow to remember her lost friends, causing her to experience eternal sorrow. And upon receiving this information, Akko and the others go inside the Vaharoi and activate the third word, causing the shiny rod to pull the seed of sorrow out of her, allowing her to return to her true form and rest in peace. And before this, we get, uh, while they're being eaten, we get Susie's shitty grin, where she's all like, She's enjoying this way, way too much. <laughs> like, that image of her is just that big ear-to-ear smile. Like, it was pretty much, like, gift and, like, turned into, like, Twitter icons around this time when this episode was, was released. Oh, I don't doubt it. It's, it's, it's a great moment for all characters, but especially for Susie. <laughs> and so the first half comes to a close, as despite putting on the best performance of the festival, Akko's disqualified from the running for, for the Moonlit Witch, as she did something different from what is assigned. And so Diana is crowned the Moonlit Witch, though she accepts it reluctantly. And we close on a certain someone silently observing from afar. Wonder who they could be, but find out in the second half. But this arc was a perfect way to close out the first core of Little Witch Academia, and a perfect way to set up the second half, because that's when things start to get really good. Yes. More fun on the way. Oh, yeah. But that does it for the first half of Little Witch Academia, and we'll be right back to talk about the second half right after these.
And we're back with the second core of Little Witch Academia. And like I said before, this is where things start to get really, really good for the series. Yes, this is where the uh, plot finally kicks in. Oh, yeah. And uh, first things first, the new opening and ending. The new opening is Mind Conductor by Eureka. And the new ending is Tome Nasubasa or Invisible Wings by Ohara. Uh, what do you think of these two new tunes here? Uh, I, th- I like the first ones more. Honestly, yeah, but... That being said, these are still really good opening and endings. Oh yeah, they're still fine. They still they, they still inspire that sense of magic that uh, needs to uh, instill in you. But um, I don't know. Visually, I think it, I, I think it just goes um, a bit harder in the first one. And as far as the ending goes, um, it can't beat those smooth ass strings uh, from the first one. Oh yeah, but uh, there is one thing I like about the the uh, second opening is that. Uh, a lot of the shots kind of remind me of uh, the second opening of Kill a Kill, you know, where like we have the side by side shots of characters like walking next to each other or walking towards each other. We have like characters lined up in a row. I just kind of it kind of gives me Kill a Kill second opening vibes. And I kind of dig that. Yeah, it does a little. So on to the show proper as uh, we get. Let's uh, talk about the newest uh, professor that's joining Luna Nova here as we are introduced to Professor Croy, played here by Caitlin Elizabeth, as she comes flying in on her Roomba. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically, I love that little like Roomba design to these uh, robots that she has uh, with her. But yeah, it immediately makes a uh, makes a uh, makes a very good entrance and showing that she's not your average uh, magic user. No, she's uh, one that combines magic with uh, technology. So it's the future Zara right here. But uh, overall thoughts on Croy, at least uh, at this moment. I mean, at this moment, like, okay, yeah, like I like it immediately piqued my interest with. Um, the uh, robots and everything, you know, because it immediately raises the question, like, okay, magic technology, how are we going to combine these two together? And um, she makes for a uh, pretty good debut, even though there is something sort of um, uh, shady about her, and um, especially in, like, her cockiness to, like, everything as well, that she seems to have an answer to all the problems in her debut. Yeah, and it also seems like her and Ursula seem to have a bit of a history as they both kind of confront each other and you can kind of tell that there's something between these two from their first meeting yeah definitely but uh, with professor croy's introduction is uh we now have more science completely taking over luna nova like most of the students especially akko look to be 10 billion percent behind the power of science so get excited yes everyone gets new ipads <laughs> everyone gets ipads they're all like going on the internet checking like all kinds of news and stuff and following celebrities it's just like everyone's just all wrapped in the science world now. Diana, however, isn't budging one millimeter. And uh, it's around this time with Croy's introduction, we start to see one of the greater themes of Little Witch Academia, and it's all about challenging traditions, you know? Like, there's the stuff with Croy and the feud between uh, traditional magic and science magic, and of course, everything with Chariot and how she used magic for entertainment rather than as a tool. So, like, throughout the series, we have, like, this whole thing of, like, bucking traditions and then, like, going against what is uh, the establishment. Right, right, and we see this come through very well in Croy, although, um, as we see through her character, though, the, the way she goes um, wrong going forward with this is that uh, she just doesn't come from as uh, sincere a place as uh, some of the other characters. Yeah, and also, like, uh, this kind of harkens back to the Enchanted Parade, as we got a little bit of magic for science with uh, Constance's entire character. True, but that was kind of, like, played up more for, like, laughs and jokes, you know? Yeah, more for laughs, but I kind of wonder if... Uh, Trigger and Yo-Yo Shinari like, loved the idea so much that they wanted to make it a major part of the series, like explore it a bit more. 
Right, right, because it's 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 an idea that's ripe for uh, exploration. So upon hearing that Croy and Chariot were classmates, Akko goes to Croy, who asked to bring the shiny rod with her to her laboratory in the New Moon Tower for analysis. When Akko shows up, Croy knocks her unconscious and begins analyzing the data in her memories in order to find out how she is able to control the rod, which leads to Ursula to come to the rescue, and this is when she, for a moment, drops the facade and then goes full chariot and it's just so cool seeing her like fight off the golems and the roombas and also like there's a shot where she's like running up the side of the tower yeah first time we actually see her get to cut loose and trigger knows uh just how to uh get her across quite well it's it's very it's 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 quite the jarring moment when you see her um go through that and stuff and get like much more dynamic you know it looks like so you know it looks like some sort of like uh some sort of like action scenes you might see in like like an adventure film like Indiana Jones or something. It's really cool. It's sweet. And then, like, after this big... She has this big confrontation with Croy and, like, how, like, they both want to, like, use Akko. And, like, uh, we have a scene afterwards where, after Akko wakes up, Ursula starts revealing the truth about the shiny rod. And I remember this being, like, a really, really good scene. But, yes, now we have uh, one of the big plots of the series where we have to find those seven words. And uh, one of the first words that we have to find is uh, we have to do this while visiting Lotte's parents in Finland, where, like, uh, everyone starts uh, turning into moss due to, like, eating these uh, local pies that they have. <laughs> Freaking pies. Yeah, like, uh, they have to deal with a uh, viral moss infection, and I'm just wondering if that's better or worse than what we're dealing with right now. <laughs> But uh, this is just a lot of fun episode where, like, uh, we have some moments where, like, Akko and Lote are getting ingredients for the antidote. And they're just kind of, like, uh, just bouncing off each other where, like, Lote says we have to do this exactly one way. But then Akko just somehow messes it up, but at the same time also succeeds in getting the ingredients. I love the Yeti that Akko meets in this episode as well. And how she, like, she tries to, she tries to, like, garner his help. But, like, then she finds that she has to, like, boost his self-esteem because, like, he gets, like, tons of, like, angry comments online. His work. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, no, no, but I like that though. Like that, you do see those elements here and there in um, Little Witch Academia. That it is very conscious of like, uh, like online hate doms and like, uh, you know, just like the the negative effect it can have on creative types. And uh, yeah, this is just like a funny example of like how it gets that across. And like to a yeti of all things. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this guy could probably rip you in half, but, like, it's just, like, you know, he has feelings, too, you know? Yeah. But uh, Akko was able to get the uh, fourth word in, in the seventh words through this event, and uh, in doing so, she learns lessons in lesson in patience. And that's usually the kind of the key when it comes to any of the seven words. It's usually, like, Akko learning a lesson, which leads to the discovery of the next word. It's the lesson. She, she really should have just, like... Yeah, thought a little bit more about like, oh, what's my next lesson for the day? Huh? Might as well just like, <laughs> might as well just like run through. Uh, might as well just like research, do some research by just watching like some old Sesame Street episodes or something. <laughs> you know, Sesame Street, some Arthur. You know, all the classics. It's gotta be. It's gotta be some lesson around here. These shows go through all the lessons. Like, <laughs> I gotta learn the right one. Oh, uh, but uh, after this, we get, uh, I'm sure an episode you probably liked, uh, we get a showcase for Amanda. Oh, yeah, this, this, this is another uh, good one. <laughs> Where we get uh, Akko and Amanda hanging out together, which is always great to see. I love seeing these two bounce off each other. 
Oh yeah, they they pair they they pair very well together in these uh, types of situations. Both have a tendency to uh, you know just bypass all the barriers that are in front of them. Uh, you know, damned what the consequences might be, and they they pair very well right here as they try to sneak into a boys' academy to um, learn more about these seven words. Also, go on the hunt for the Holy Grail. Yeah, Holy Grail of all places. <laughs> yep, just so happens to be in an all boys' school, you know. <laughs> You know, Indiana Jones, he was looking in the wrong place when he was uh, looking in the temple with his dad. You know, just go to an old boys' school in the UK. You'll you'll find it there. Yeah, it was obvious. You know, you don't have to deal with the whole thing where you have to, like, meet an old crusader and you have to pick the right chalice. Uh, well, there is, some, there is still some challenge uh, getting there. So, in order to sneak around the school, our girls use uh, metamorphosis magic. So, uh, Amanda transforms into a uh, Rule 63 version of herself, and then Akko transforms into Mousy Akko, which is the cutest. <laughs> And then afterwards, uh, Amanda runs afoul of Lewis Blackwell, root of all evil, played here by Kyle McClary, who out of all out of everyone in the series who talks about how like they hate witches, this guy's like really getting over how much he just hates witches and generally everything really. I mean, it, it honestly makes the episode like take a very like dark turn when he's like talking about when he like goes all like burn the witch and even gets like riles up like other students at the academy and to join with them and stuff and it's like they're straight up talking about like torturing the characters <laughs> when they find out they're witches it's kind of dark yeah so akko manages to find the holy grail but both she and amanda end up getting captured by lewis who intends to put them on a witch trial all right so you sit on the broom and we shove you off the cliff if you're innocent you will fall to an honorable christian death if however you are the bride of satan you will surely fly your broom to safety at that point, you will report back here for torture and beheading. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> that's how it all went. <laughs> but uh, instead, Andrew comes in and proposes a more civilized approach, which is swords at dawn. Oh yeah, that's that's way more civilized. Also, like Lewis mentions that uh, this is how they settle all their conflicts at the school, and it makes you wonder, like, how many deaths is the school covering up if this is how they settle any and all conflicts? Within this universe, there's a whole, there's like a shonen anime that's like going on at the school in the background, and we never see it. <laughs> yeah, boys' school academia. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a boys' school version of Revolutionary Girl Lutina. Ah, there you go. So uh, Amanda is able to win, but Lewis smashes the Holy Grail. You have chosen poorly. And then we, the Grail, the magic power somehow lifts from the shattered remains. And then infuses with a suit of armor, which then attaches to Lewis. And then we get a super cool mech suit of armor. It's like, holy crap, this looks so cool, actually. God, like, Amanda O'Neill's, like, sword play is, like, so good during the section. She is, she's, like, practically talented at everything. Like, she's good at flying a broom and also being quite the showwoman and at the same time. But, like, and also just sword play like she just swashbuckler that's what i call her she's like she's like a like a young jack sparrow in training the suit of armor kind of reminds me of uh some kind of looks like a character in the next show we're going to cover i wonder if it's a bit of a it was a bit of a hint on trigger's uh end yeah, i wonder uh but then amanda combines her wand with the sword and then like she now has like a magic powered sword and like i, I love that at one point she kind of does a bit of the uh, the lino thundercats pose when she like flings it in front of herself is it's great i know it comes to a spectacular finale uh but amanda is able to win the day and decides not to quit school which was what she was thinking about throughout this episode but she decides not to for akko's sake which is sweet 
But moving on, we get to have another showcase for one of uh, Amanda's friends, this one about Constance. And actually, weirdly enough, this was actually like the one episode from the original that I don't actually remember watching. Really? <laughs> for the life of me, when I, when I was like rewatching the series, I was looking at this and I was like, and I, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> Did I just straight up skip this episode? Did you Which, imagine it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I couldn't have imagined it because, like, I never saw it to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, against all odds, like, I finally, I finally watched this episode. <laughs> uh, but this one, this one's all about uh, the Wild Hunt, which is being seen as a bit of a big sporting event in this world, where it's all about a bunch of hunters hunting ghosts and stuff. And again, it's an episode where the animation staff just decides to, like, absolutely flex on its, like, viewers again. Oh, definitely. This is just more triggers showing off. They, they must have had somebody on the crew who was, like, really anxious to just draw Gurren Lagann. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what this episode comes to. I mean, basically, yeah. So, like, in the lead-up to this, uh, Akko wants to uh, hang around Constance a bit more, and then she tries to find her laboratory, so... Enter at your own peril. Pass the bolted door where impossible things may happen that the world's never seen before. In Constance's laboratory, boom, 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 lives the smartest girl you've ever seen. But Akko <laughs> blows her experiments to smithereens. There is doom and gloom while things go boom in Constance Lab. Thank you. Very Thank you. nice. Thank Very you. nice. <laughs> and like, yeah, it basically just turns into an episode of Dexter's Laboratory here. I mean, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Although, um, yeah, it comes, but yeah, like it, it still makes for like a very nice pairing, and you know, and it's a, a good episode to do as well because Constance was like that one character that you just wanted to know more about, and you get a whole episode dedicated to that. So I really appreciate that. There's also like a lot of cuteness in this episode of like Akko just trying to help and just like messing things up, but she just keeps trying so hard. And also, we just have more moments of, like, Constance not speaking and just talking through reacts and grunts. And, and then, like, the reactions are just really adorable. Right, right. As she tries to make this uh, uh, large device to participate in a sport event within the, uh, wizarding, within the uh, witch's world right here, which ends in a massive mecha battle. Also, I want to mention, like, the, the ship that she invents kind of looks a bit like the ship from the Enchanted Parade. Because I remember they made one for, like, uh, yeah, it does a little. Yeah. So yeah, again, another example of like uh, the folks at Trigger just pulling from the old shorts to add them into the series to kind of flesh them out a bit more. Yeah, I mean, why not? If they've, if they've got those old model sheets for it, might as well like recreate it again. Hey, no, don't let those go to waste. And yeah, and then, then the final mecha battle where they're just like, fuck it, let's just, let's just animate Gurren Lagann. <laughs> like, Aga's like, time to, time to use the you-know-what. And then she even does the believe in the me that believes in you, but it's a uh, believe in the heart that believes in magic. <laughs> They're not even subtle about it. It's like all these years and they still have inevitably go back <laughs> and like, just remake Gurren Lagann again. <laughs> and we'll even see this in like other works like later like in like our um, Trigger series as well. Yeah, for sure. Like for better or for worse, like they always go back to Gurren. And I love the I love the reaction from like the rest of the girls when they see this big giant robot. Like you have Susie just go, "What is that?" 
And then Amanda's <laughs> just like, with an amazing div- delivery by Marin Miller, where they're all like, wow, it's super lame. <laughs> but at least Jasmine liked it. They're, they're probably all thinking like, eh, saw it better done in Gurn <laughs> <laughs> It kind of reminds you of like how, like, you know how in One Piece, anytime Frankie bring, brings out the general Frankie, like everyone, like all the women just like, just are stone-faced, no selling it. They just not impressed at all. And yeah, just one big Gurren Lagann reference with uh, some foreshadowing to uh, Trigger's next show, which was probably in production at the time of this, uh, of uh, Little Witch Academia. Might have been, I believe. Like, all that was missing from this episode was for Akko to do, like, one of, like, a big, like, Simone speech. Like, you Simone speech from, like, the end of the series when fighting this uh, giant ghost. <laughs> you know, it can be all like, how can this be? Where is the, where are you drawing this power from? We evolved beyond the person we are from a minute before. Little by little, we advance with each turn. That's how magic works. That is the path that leads to extinction. Why can't you see the pathetic limitation of the magic race? That is your limitation. You sit here closed up, blocking away other life forms like some sort of king. That's nobody's limitation but your own. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> if I wear this magic will open the hole in the universe, and that hole will be a path for those behind us. The dreams of those who have fallen, the hopes of those who will follow. Those two such dreams weave into a double helix, drilling a path towards tomorrow. That is Little Witch. That is Academia. My magic is the magic that creates the heavens. You just really wanted to, like, quote Gurren Lagann, didn't you? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> and they even do a giga drill break in here. I know, they do the exact same thing. Uh, like, it's even framed the same with, like, the, the pose that Ger- that uh, Gurren Lagan does afterwards, where it just has, like, the sunglasses fly on. It's amazing. It, it makes me want to, like, legit ask the question of Trigger. Like, if I could, if I could ever just ask, them, ask, like, their leadership in, like, an open forum, like, like, how, like, how obsessed are, is, like, the studio still with Gurren Lagan and, like, the past works of, like, its founders? It's, like, it's a legit question. They keep going back to it. I would love to see, like, pictures of their offices, and it's just probably, like, full of, like, Gurren memorabilia. It also just makes you kind of wonder if, like, if you think, like, Ima Ishii is, like, in the back of his head thinking, like, one of these days he's just going to try to straight up buy the rice to Gurren just so he can own it himself. That's a good question. That's actually a good question. I mean, hey, I'd love it. I mean, I would doubt it happening, but still. Yeah, it'd be cool. But I I love this. I love this all so much. And the ending is very sweet, where, like, Constance starts to, like, Akko a bit more. Yeah. But after this, we uh, move on to talking more about Diana, as we have uh, the Diana retrieval arc here. Yeah, she gets a neat, she gets a neat little two episodes dedicated to her. Yeah, she has to take part in a ceremony to become the new head of the Cavendish family, and therefore must leave Luna Nova. But Akko doesn't want to leave, want her to leave, and we and we have like a bit of a confrontation between the two where they just butt heads on the whole subject. Uh, but Ak- Akko is angry because it means that she's losing her rival. Yeah, she's got She's got to have a rival around, otherwise, what's her motivation? Even though Cavendish is just like, what? No, like, I never considered you my rival. <laughs> You're just kind of a numpty here. <laughs> but uh, you can sense a bit of, in- bit of envy from Diana when she brings up the seven words and how, like, only those chosen by the shiny rod can look for them. And that person is Akko and not her. And we see, like, during around this time, she was very interested in the seven words and the nine old witches. Yeah, it still it still very much, like, uh, progresses the overall story and uh, gives a lot of uh, character development. Uh, towards Akko and uh, Cavendish's relationship. Also, you can like imply here that she, like, even though she's willingly leaving Luna Nova, she's leaving it with a lot of regret and feeling very unfulfilled. 
yeah, she is actually like legit sad to like leave the institution and like not continue her education. Yeah, it's just a yeah, just a yeah. It's you, you can really feel for uh, Cavendish in these episodes. So Akko hitches a ride with Andrew, who's been invited as a guest to Diana's home, and Diana reluctantly allows Akko to stay for the night. And around this time, Akko begins to understand Diana's conflict, as since she lost both of her parents, she now has to become the head of the family. And if she doesn't, then her aunt Daryl, played here by Jessica Strauss, becomes the head, and she is set to take the family in the wrong direction, such as selling a lot of the Cavendish family's legacy. Turning their entire house into an episode of Antique Roadshow. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you want to sell some old stuff off, you can, like, uh, go into town and get help, get some help from uh, Chumley there. <laughs> there. There's the one episode we were missing all this time. <laughs> The episode where, like, well, they did an episode where they naturally remade Gurren Lagann. Now they do an episode where they just naturally remake an episode of Pawn Stars. Yeah, I mean, you had the setup there. He's a character, so, like, why not have him be a character-focused episode? <laughs> but uh, for Diane to become the head of the family, she has to take part in a ceremony, which uh, kind of gives me similar vibes to, like, uh, the trials from uh, Final Fantasy X, in a way. Yeah, they do a little bit. The, uh, yeah, the... Yeah, the uh, trials uh, for the uh, for the summoners. Yeah, like how they they have to go in alone, and like no one can go in after them. But uh, you know, like like uh, Titus in that game, Akko ignores the rules and tries to go in after Diana. Yeah, man, this leads leads all in like leads all to just a really good like team up between Diana and Akko here. Yeah, so Akko decides to head into the Cavendish Shrine to rescue her after she hears Aunt Daryl send in some of her pet snakes to stop her, but Akko gets poisoned in the process. And despite being free to carry on with the ceremony, Diana decides to uh, instead take Akko away for treatment. And then we start to get, like, a big turning point in Akko and Diana's relationship, and I'll splice you in the scene here. Are you awake? Diana, it seems your recklessness knows no bounds. I just wanted to help you, that's all. I believe you. Really, you're so incorrigible. There's no telling what you'll get yourself into. Uh, Diana, your ceremony! Even if I were to head to the sanctuary now, I wouldn't make it in time. What? No way! Why didn't you go on without me? I thought that you wanted to take over your family! I wasn't about to just leave you there wounded like that. Besides, didn't you seek to stop me from participating in the ceremony in the first place? I guess that's true. I'm really sorry. Don't apologize. It's not your fault. The truth is, I simply was not capable enough. So what is this place? It used to serve as a covert hospital, spanning all the way back to the medieval ages. Whenever a war would break out in the area, our ancestors would treat those in need with magic, regardless of whether they were civilians Soldiers, friends, or enemies. Enemies? Mm -hmm. Whoever needed treatment. Not everyone approved of such practices, which is why we had to work very hard to keep this place secret. I didn't know about any of that. One thousand five hundred years of Cavendish history can be found in this library. These books detail our research on healing magic from long ago. In the wake of medical science, however, 
much of this knowledge has been forgotten. Uh, is that one of the nine old witches? Beatrix the Witch, the matriarch of the Cavendish family. Her magic was responsible for the salvation of countless lives. She is the founder of our tradition of kindness. Things are peaceful now, so this place hasn't really been needed. My mother, Bernadette, worked hard as a peacemaker until the moment she died. Can I ask what happened? Her health was in poor condition. And in addition to that, she exerted herself far too much. All of the incredible work that my mother and ancestors have done for the sake of humanity. I couldn't be prouder to be a Cavendish. That's why I wanted so badly to protect, to save this house. You can't give up now! You can still save this house, Diana! No, it's too late now. I'd never make it in time. You'll never actually know that if you don't at least try! I'm positive there's a way! I never knew that you had something so important to you. It's wonderful. I really do. So please, whatever you do, don't give up on your dream. You have to protect what you love. Akko. Once you do, please come back to school. Huh? You can work on both your family and your studies. That would be awesome. Uh, I don't know if I could do that. Of course you could. There's no doubt of it in my mind. Uh, Believing in yourself is your magic. Believing is... My magic. <gasps> the shiny rod! Is the word near? <sighs> An old tradition and a new power will cross to open the door to the unseen world. <gasps> it's a saying that's been passed down for many generations. The fifth word is supposed to be related to tradition. Akko, repeat this. Sivila Dula, Miladi Bula. Sivila Dula? Sivila Dula? Leilani Bula! Leilani Bula! Look at that! It's Chariot's Broom! Shiny Valley! Go and mute it, Diana! An old tradition. And a new power. The door to the unseen world. <laughs> Why don't we go together? Uh, mm. But uh, what do you think of like uh, their relationship and like how this turn is taken for them? Uh, I just like the friendship. I just like the burgeoning respect they now have for each other. Yeah, it's just it's really great. And it's just kind of like it's something like a lot of people who watched uh, the original shorts really wanted to see. Like, they wanted to see like some kind of friendship build between Akko and Diana. Because there was always something, like, there, but, like, you know, they they had to, like, build up to it here with, like, the series and all. Also, there was, like, a, they added, like, another layer to it, because before Akko goes in to rescue Diana, she has, like, a conversation with Andrew, and Andrew tells her that Diana was kind of just like her when she was younger, and how, like, she didn't really know how to use magic and had to, like, really work her way to, like, become the witch she is today. 
Yeah, an important detail that uh, will come up later, but um, one that uh, does a great job of uh, bridging the two together, knowing that Diana had to go through um, pretty much the exact same struggle that Akko had to. But of course, Aver overcame it like a lot better, um, you know, just because she had a better support all around her. Mm -hmm. So by firmly believing that Diana can still become the head of the family and return to school as well, Akko manages to awaken the fifth word, transforming the shiny rod into Chariot's Broom, which Diana and Akko use to reach the ritual shrine. Daryl and her daughters attempt to stop her, but are affected by a curse that falls upon those who would disturb the ritual. Choosing to save them from being turned into trees, Diana ends up missing the ascension, but in return receives a vision of Beatrix, one of the nine old witches and her ancestor, which commends her for her compassion. And then like right there, like her one of her ancestors is one of the nine old witches, so that's why she has such an interest in the seven words and the nine old witches. Right, right. I like that. I like that uh, cool little connection they uh, throw in there. Very nice detail. And so Diana decides to return to Luna Nova, and she shows appreciation for everything Akko's done for her. And also, Diana's maid Anna promises to keep the Cavendish estate safe from Daryl until she returns. But uh, with all that, we now approach the final arc of Little Witch Academia, so to say. As Professor Croy, who has been kind of in the background doing a lot of, a lot of shady shit here, is now getting ready to put her plans underway here. Yeah, as we as we've seen uh, coming up here, um, the the part we've kind of been leaving out here is that uh, Professor Croy has been in the background influencing uh, many events and uh, conflicts that we have seen thus far, uh, seemingly ex uh, seemingly performing experiments on uh, a lot of the people and within Akko's life. Yeah, using a lot of using like uh, one of her inventions, which is like a a bunch of like little tiny magical cubes, which are able to kind of affect people in a certain way. So, only two more words to go, and the sixth word was the last one Chariot found. And looking into the meaning behind the shiny rod's sixth word, Leon, Akko hears from Croy about how Chariot climbed the legendary Wargandia tree to learn it. However, Ursula is against Akko from doing the same as the tree is due to release a bunch of dangerous pollen, which causes witches to lose their magic and flight abilities. But despite this, Croy is able to take Akko to the tree anyway, claiming that Ursula had lied about the pollen that would be released. Whole episode is just like Croy being like, Akko, I'm your friend, <laughs> not Ursula. Yeah, I'm your buddy. Don't listen to her. I'm the cool teacher. She's the lame teacher. <laughs> I'm the good teacher to let you slack off. Look at me. I'm dressed up like some cool lady who's off to the Ren Renaissance Festival. All with a sweet haircut. <laughs> <laughs> but like around this time, we get like the flashback to the day the shiny rod shows Chariot. And to this day, Croy has always resented her for it. So now she's trying to stop Akko because she knows that Akko's Chariot's last chance to live her dream. Yeah, whole episode. Yeah, whole episode just kind of like puts a big fracture within uh, Akko and Ursula's relationship. Yeah, we also get like that one scene where like uh, Ursula tries to like stop her from climbing the tree, and then Akko is just basically giving out to her, saying like, "No, I'm going to do this. You're not going to stop me." And it's it kind of hits hard a bit. Yeah, those are some. Yeah, those are like some really effective like you know, rough-hitting parts of this of this episode. Yeah, because throughout the entire series up to this point, like, Akko has always looked up to Ursula as, like, probably, like, the only teacher who's, like, really shown her a lot of care and respect and, like, is willing to be patient with her. And now she's, like, kind of pushing her away because, like, she feels she's getting in the way of, like, her dream. Yeah, but, yeah, but like, it still comes to, like, a, a very sweet end where they uh, come to a better understanding with each other. Yep, so uh, as Akko was climbing the tree and the polling is being released, thus uh, almost able to... Uh, basically poison her and then take away like her magical magical ability. Ursula rushes to save Akko just as the pollen is being released, 
and realizing how much Ursula has watched over her, Akko expresses her deepest apology and gratitude to her, which turns out to be the true meaning of Leon and unlocks the sixth word and then heals Ursula's injuries. And the this the final scene between Akko and Ursula is so good, like I'll splice it in, but it's a really good one. <laughs> Professor Ursula Akko, are you alright? Professor, I'm so sorry. I said I said such terrible things to you, and yet you still came to save me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Croy. It shouldn't be me. Oh, Croy. Croy, it should have been you. Why is it me? Accept it, Chariot. You are the one who has been blessed with it. The Grand Triskelion should be yours to have. <laughs> This whole time, I've been unfairly pushing my own wish onto you. I should have considered how you truly feel. That's not true! You never pushed anything! I chose to collect the words on my own! Even though I've been through so much, and had so many experiences, I still haven't really grown at all! I didn't mean to say such mean things to you! You've always been there to help me, Professor! You've always been by my side! So that's why... What I really want to say is... Thank you. Leon. I see. So that's the true meaning of Leon. Accept it, Chariot. You are the one who has been blessed with it. Leon. ever seen what the top of Wagandia looks like. Who knows how high it goes? Akko, you really are growing into a fine person. However, Croy is revealed to have been working on the Noir Rod, her own dark version of the shiny rod, to claim the Triskelion's power for herself, so... In the end, she decided she didn't need Akko or the shiny rod itself. She just needed some data, and now she's really going to put her plans into motion. And so, meanwhile, a war seems to be brewing as the result of a soccer match. Um, yeah, can I just say right now that this is like one of those uh, concepts within the series that, or one of these plot points in the series that, like, was just kind of odd to me. I mean, I know hooliganism is a problem, but I didn't think it'd be this bad. I mean, I think historically, like, some uh, countries have used, like, sports as, like, proxies for, like, their, like, rivalries and also just conflicts with each other. But, um, I don't know, maybe, like, maybe maybe the writers were just, like, a uh, straight-up war between, like, other countries that um needs to be that the witches of our series need to kind of help resolve like there's like some anxieties they need to quell or something um that'd be pretty way too dark if we just made it a straight up war um well, well the, the the series is generally set within the uk let's just like 
let, let's use like the the sport hooliganism to uh like sort of segue into that a little bit <laughs> i don't think it succeeds entirely but like it's like okay i accept that enough even though it's like <laughs> come on <laughs> sports fans causing a war <laughs> Uh, but then again, you look at sports fans all around the world and you kind of see them getting crazy. Just look at any team that wins the Super Bowl every year. Yeah, it's it gets wild. Well, it's all, well, this is also like something that can be a little bit more understood in like other countries, too, where like uh, those kinds of like sport riots like can be like way more disastrous. I mean, I, I don't even recall like what the last like um, sport riot was that like even got like any big national news coverage in the U.S., I think it was when uh, the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl a couple years ago and you'd hear stories of just like people climbing uh, telephone poles and light posts and fans eating poop for no reason. <laughs> okay, so okay, so there was at least one that was that recent. Okay, I'll I'll con- I'll I'll I'll, ex- I'll concede to that. <laughs> And uh, talk about hooliganism, I know that uh, apparently, like, not not really in the UK, but more so in Russia, it's a really, really problem, almost to the point that it's super dangerous. Well, yeah, you get, well, yeah, you get enough, well, yeah, you get enough people, like, riled up and stuff, you know, like, it'll cause trouble anywhere. Anyway, Andrew and his family look to be caught up in this at the most at the moment, as uh, Andrew's dad is, like, kind of in with the government and parliament, so, like, uh, they're the ones kind of, like, monitoring the whole situation. So back with Akko and Ursula, the seventh word is revealed, but its meaning is still unknown. And all that's known is that it's within your heart. Notified by Dan about a message from Andrew, Akko leaves to meet with him, and they have a nice little scene together. You know, I, Andrew's just trying to return Akko's hat back together, but then it leads to just to having a little conversation on a park bench where Andrew convinces Akko that rather than live in Chariot Shadow, she should start believing in herself more, and she should be, like, the first Akko rather than the next Chariot. Yeah, sweet little words they exchange. And that's when they come across the soccer protest. And then that's when uh, Akko starts noticing some techno magic hovering around the protesters. Akko chases after one of the cubes and comes across Croy. And it turns out Croy has been manipulating everyone's emotions in order to convert it into magical energy. Yeah, well, yeah, as she explains, uh, a wide range of emotions can, uh, uh, can, be, can, can be transferred into uh, magical energy. So she's just been experimenting with all of them, basically almost like mixing random chemicals together to like, get some kind of reaction. And then that's when she finds out that negative emotions are what uh, draws out the most powerful magic. As magic has been disappearing, as it's been said throughout the entire series, so like the next best thing is in order to get, they need to get more magic power, and Croy says, like, she's gonna just manipulate thousands of emotions before she'll let magic die. Yeah, pretty much. Akko's in trouble, but Ursula comes in for the save. And then that's when Akko finds out the truth. Ursula is indeed Chariot, and it's just a big, big, huge reveal to her. But then the mood gets dampened by what's revealed next by Croy. Oh, an even bigger reveal happens. As it turns out, during the magic show, the very same magic show Akko attended that's in the opening scene, Chariot herself drained her spectator's power of dreaming to affect her magic, thereby depriving Akko and a bunch of other people in the audience their natural magical talent. Yeah, it's like a big reveal where it's like, yeah, it turns out it's the big thing that Ursula has been keeping away from Akko all this time since as soon as she found out that she was at that show and the... Yeah, uh, she felt guilty ever since, uh, ever since she tried to absorb people's magic to um, essentially attempt in a way what Ursula was attempting here. This is the reason why Akko can't fly, has trouble using any kind of basic magic spells, like 
her entire character up to this point was a result of that show and and of course chariot so moral of the story kids never meet your heroes (laughs) (laughs) uh but it's a gut wrench it's a gut-wrenching reveal though yeah i remember the first time i saw that and just hearing that and then hearing chariot just not rebuking and just saying like yeah that's what happened and i'm i just like went oh no oh why (sighs) just a big gut punch and because of that akko has just gone missing she just straight up leaves just can't deal with anything anymore and then we get a flashback to chariot's life and how her search for the seventh word led to what happened with akko and what caused her to go into exile that she felt that uh, putting on these shows and bringing smiles to people's faces would lead to the seventh word, but it was just to no avail. And she was thinking, like, she might need more spectacular magic. Maybe needs to go bigger and bigger if that'll bring out the seventh word. And that's when uh, she talked to Croy, and Croy tricked her into using Dream Fuel spirit magic at the show, which Akko attended. And then that's when everything happened. That's when she inadvertently stole all the magic. So, upon learning that Croy's technique stole magic from spectators, Chariot was determined to perform without relying on it, but that led to an even bigger incident, as she wanted to show that she can perform exciting high-level magic without Croy's tech. Chariot ends up destroying a part of the moon, which caused her to lose the right to the shiny rod, and then that's when she disappeared from the public eye. Yeah, sad backstory here, as she's just kind of like, um... As well, <laughs> there's another hidden villain uh, in this background, in this, um... Flashback as well as like her manager like and like that she acquires like pushes her more and more to like perform more daring magic that'll uh, bring in crowds. <laughs> I think the real villain of this is just like talent managers. Oh yeah, agents, managers—they're always the worst. Though like her uh, destroying a part of the moon, like uh, at least that wasn't the worst thing you could have done to the moon, isn't that right, Doctor Eggman? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to the present. Diana, upon learning that Akko hasn't returned home, confronts Ursula, having figured out her true identity as Chariot. Finding Ursula too burdened with guilt to help, Diana, along with the others, searches for Akko and manages to find her totally desolate. Yeah, but again, like after, like uh, soon after this, another sweet little moment between between Akko and Diana. Yeah, like uh, before this, like I wanted to talk about like how Diana's concern for Akko was just great to see after everything they've been through. Like her showing genuine concern for her is just so good. Yeah, like, they've actually come a ways. And also, like, I like the scene with uh, Diana and Ursula when, like, she finds out that Ursula isn't even going to bother to look for Akko because she's just so distraught at her finding out. She has, like, a really good line here where she says, I'm disappointed, not in who you were then, but who you are now. Aww. But Diana does find Akko, and we get a really good scene between the two, and I will splice it in because it's that good. Have you warmed up a bit? It's freezing out. I can't believe you were actually sitting out there this entire time. I talked to Professor Ursula. She told me what happened between you and Chariot. Listen, Akko, there's something that I'd like to show you. chariot card? I understand that you were an avid collector. But why would you have something like this? When I was little, I was a big admirer of Shiny Chariot as well. What? You were a fan? Is that really true? More than you could know. I remember early on, 
she had already been drawing some controversy. I had to collect these in secret as a result. Being able to go see her show seemed to be an impossibility. Even so, that didn't stop me from dreaming about it. Then one day, my mother arranged a trip overseas and fulfilled my dream at last. Huh? You traveled just to see her show? We did, to your country. So we saw the same performance. It was wonderful. I recall that night as if it were yesterday. But in actuality, there was a time when she couldn't use magic. So, that was the reason why you couldn't use magic back then? You already knew about all that? I did. I heard it from Andrew. He also told me how you never gave up, and worked hard to be able to use your magic again. Is that so? What happened to us was unfortunate. There's no denying that fact. But I have no sympathy for you. I'm certain you can regain your power. What I've gone through should be proof of that fact. I should have known. That's so you. Both our powers were absorbed in exactly the same way. But you worked really hard and became an amazing witch. Meanwhile, here I am, still not being able to fly yet. Do you know why I didn't give up back then? Wasn't it so you could become the head of your family? Certainly that was part of it. But if that had been my only motivation, I would have surely become overwhelmed and given up long ago. We're actually quite similar. What? Just like you, I was so enchanted by Chariot's magic. I remember when I saw her for the first time. My heart was pounding so hard from excitement. It was then that I realized how much I loved magic. That amazing feeling she left me with is what gave me the strength to keep going and persevere. expectations people had for me. And so in due time, I grew apart from Chariot. I had to leave childish things in the past. I convinced myself that I had to grow up and locked those dreams away. But the reason I chose to go to Luna Nova was because that was the school Chariot attended. To be honest, I didn't much care for you when we first met. Why? You kept talking about how much you loved Chariot, and you were so bad at your studies. You would do all sorts of reckless things which would get everyone else into trouble. Yet somehow, you managed to pull off these amazing feats I could never do. Your magic had a strange charm to it. I envied you. I really did. Come on, that's impossible. Come to think of it, perhaps the reason I wanted to leave Luna Nova was because I wanted to get away from you. Because I knew that 
You were closer to Chariot than I would ever be. Diana. I want to give this to you. Perhaps its message will help you. Is believing in myself really enough, though? I know it is. <gasps> That's what makes you special, Akko. That magic within you, no one else can rival. Well, yeah, thoughts on the scene between Diana and Akko? Ah, uh, finally, their connection. <laughs> finally, it feels like they're true equals. It's so incredibly satisfying to see how far the relationship has come. Like, not from the start of the show until now, but from, like, the very beginning, from that very first short until now. The first short came out in, like, 2013, and then the series aired in 2017, so we had four years of build-up, basically, to a scene where Diana reveals that she was at the same show as Akko, and that at a time she was a big fan of Chariot just like her, and, like, how, after all this time, she feels that Akko has a charm to her like nobody else in the entire world. I mean, there's there's always a risk with like uh, burying like this kind of uh, information for in your character, this sort of a uh, background in your character for uh, so long in the series. But um, I think they held out on it ju just long enough here. I think they uh, picked just the right effective moment to really pull it out. I like the one thing that uh, Diana shows to kind of like really show the connection between these two, where she brings out her most prized possession, which is like one of the rarest uh, trading cards from like the Chariot trading card set. Super gold, super mega gold, gold rare edition as well. Golden rare, holographic, super secret ultra rare. Then we then to go back with uh, Croy and Ursula, or rather, Croy and Chariot. The final battle is about to begin, and Chariot starts off by pulling out a lightsaber, basically. Uh, not never. Yeah, just just yeah, just don't don't even need to finesse it or anything. <laughs> Cora, Mata. Cora Ratama <laughs> proves to be for naught. Uh, the other professors try to come in to back up Chariot, but all the negative emotions from the Rai has just become way too much that the Noir Rod finally activates on its own. Like Croy didn't even need to turn it on, and it's now draining magic all across the country. So Croy takes the rod to the Arctrus Forest, and Akko and her friends end up there as well after the magic goes out in the ley lines. And then Croy uses the Noir Rod to unseal the Grand Triskelion, but is shocked to discover that it's just a simple twig wand, only capable of casting simple magic. Just great, great moment. It's just, it's just like in total disbelief as it just like farts out magic. Little bubbles, little stars and everything, and she's just looking at the stick going, that's it. This is it. Everything I've done up to this point was leading me to find a stick. Uh, the disbelief comes across, like, so well. And to make matters worse for Croy, the Noir Rod starts going berserk from all the negative emotions. And at this point, I ask, how boned are we? I would say very boned. <laughs> but despite that, all that's happened between them, Chariot will still put her life on the line to save Croy, as, like, as the Noir Rod is attacking, Chariot will, like, run in and do, like, a sick dropkick to it. To it. It's so cool. <laughs> like, even without magic, Chariot can still kick some ass. Yeah, she definitely can. And right in the nick of time, Akko, with help from her friends, manages to use the shiny rod to destroy the Noir Rod by using the same spell from the first episode to blast it with the shiny arc. And Akko finally makes amends with Chariot and gets to live out her dream of meeting her and returning the shiny rod to her, which was her goal from the very beginning of the series. And the scene is sweet between the two, their reconciliation. Oh, it's fantastic. And I'll splice it because it's that good. Akko. 
it's really you. Here you go. But this... This rod isn't mine. I made up my mind. To give this to you once I found you. Please accept it. I saw one of your shows when I was a kid. It was so beautiful and cool. It felt just like a dream. Seeing it really moved me. It was then that I decided to become a witch. I thought that if I became one, I'd be able to see Chariot again. Doing so was my biggest dream. And now that I've finally met you, my dream, it came true. Ako. But you know, this is all thanks to everyone. I'm so glad that I'm friends with them. All of them. I caused lots of trouble, but they always helped me. That's why I'm here. Without them around, I never would have made it this far. I'm so grateful to them, and... Well... To you, too. <sighs> you know, it's still strange to think that you're actually Chariot. Because to me, you've always been my teacher. That's why... I was hoping you could keep being my professor instead. Akko... What I did to your magic was... Professor! <sighs> I get it now! I know I'll never actually be Chariot. I wanted to be like her so I could gracefully soar the sky and use beautiful transformation magic. But... Chariot is Chariot, and I'm just me! All I can do is be myself. Even if being myself means that I can't fly and I always mess everything up. Akko... Professor, just wait! I will work hard! And then, I'll be a witch who makes everyone smile! Because magic will always be the most wonderful thing in the whole world to me! I want to learn more! So keep teaching me magic, please! You still want me as your teacher? You're the best one there is! Thank you, Professor. I love you. Hako, you helped me make my dream come true. So, Akko's feelings in this moment is the key to unlock the seventh and final word. She gets the twig wand and combines it with the shiny rod in order to turn Arctuous into a lush, vibrant forest. And so, all's well that ends well, right? <laughs> Wrong. As the girls learn that the remnants of the Noir Rod have taken control of a nuclear missile that threatens to destroy the country Great Britain is currently in conflict with due to Croy's machines. Fucking Christ. Like... The series literally went nuclear. Did you ever think, like, when you watched the very first episode of Little Witch, that the finale would be all about them stopping a giant nuclear missile? I mean, let's be honest, like, in, in the first film, they're, like, trying to take down a dragon, and it's like, now it's, like, nuclear missile. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, nuclear missiles are bigger than dragons, so you gotta go big for your regular series. So, Akko convinces everyone that they have the ability to stop the missile, and concurs that since the Noir Rod is a magic beast, that magic is the best way to stop it. You know, it's like uh, Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventure says, magic must defeat magic. And so, the new Nine Witches come up with a plan. 
Akko and her friends bundle their broom's power with the shiny rod's magic, working it like a multi-stage rocket to catch up with the missile. And also, everyone gets sweet new outfits worthy of the nine new witches. It's it's really nice. I really, yeah, I really enjoy this. Uh, like all, all like the all of these characters that we've grown to love uh, over the course of the series and appreciate, uh, finally just joining forces together to bring down this threat. I really love it. And the flying sequence is so good as like as the as like they all combine their brooms together. They fly up, and then like once what the broom on the very end starts to lose its magic power, the person on the back just pats the next person on the back and says, "All right, now it's your turn. Keep going." And then they keep repeating it and repeating it until. We're down to Akko and Diana. It's it's really great. God, it's so fucking satisfying. And just like seeing them fall back and just like leaving them with their trust. And they're just like, I know you guys can do this. Just keep it up. You got this. And incidentally, the witches' efforts are broadcast all around the world. And with all people witnessing their bravery, their belief that they can stop this menace fuels their magic to the maximum. So basically, everyone in the world is doing the, the Goku, raise your hands up and give Akko your energy. Everyone, everyone contributes their belief to Akko. Yeah, come on, everyone. Raise your hands up. Raise your hands up and give you the, her energy. I do believe in magic. I do, I do, I do believe in and magic. one last final incredible animation sequence showing Akko and Diana chasing down the missile. Oh my god, like, the final fight with the missile is amazing. Another one that where, like, our words don't do it justice. Yeah, just, you need to see this, like... Yeah, I mentioned in the last episode that, like, uh, if only this were a visual podcast, but I don't have the time or the the patience to put this to video. But just like, man, if I could, you'd be seeing, like, tons of great animation right here. (laughs) And Akko ends up getting hit by the monster and starts plummeting to the Earth until the Z-plot of the series comes full circle as the shooting star broom returns to save her and Diana. (laughs) (laughs) nice nice of the uh, it, nice of the uh, nice of the creators to remember that it's the payoff just the build-up of like seeing hints of the shooting star in the back of random newspapers just something for eagle-eyed viewers and then it all culminates into it finally returning after 22 episodes i fucking love setups like that it's so good it's it it, it reward it's very rewarding you know just to see those hints and then finally seeing it here just all that build-up it's great and again you know this is a really good visual scene, but I'll I'll splice in what I can of the finale here because it's it's still good just to even hear it, you know. Uh, nice catch. Am I right? Isn't this the legendary broom? Didn't expect that, did you? How's that for a dramatic reunion? Yggdrasil! 
Please, Grand Triskelion. If you can truly change the world, then I wish to live in a world where we can all laugh as one. Believing in yourself is everyone's magic. <laughs> And so the shiny rod and the Grand Triskelion destroy the missile and magically spread happiness all around the world, which is uh, ma made evident by a little smiley face on the planet. After which, the shiny rod, having fulfilled its duty, disappears. And once again, a trigger anime ends with a character played by Erica Mendez saying goodbye to something that they held dear throughout the entire series. <laughs> you know, first it was Senkats, now it's the shiny rod. Betting money it will probably happen again. Uh, one of these days. Make it happen, Trigger. And so, Little Witch Academia comes to a close with Croy being taken into custody for what she's done, but vowing to dedicate herself to finding a cure for the Wagandia curse on Ursula. And Akko, with everyone's support, finally flies with a broom all on her own. <laughs> <sighs> one final moment that like, really just makes, makes it all so satisfying. It's just like, I remember when I first saw this, I was so happy, it kind of brought a tear to my eye, just, uh-huh. Little girl's grown up! You know, and, and, and isn't, like, one of the final lines of the series, like, <laughs> finally, like, a line said by Constance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the cherry on top. That is. Oh, she flew. <laughs> she flew, Constance spoke, all is right with the world. Uh. And so, Little Witch Academia comes to an end final thoughts as i've said at the near the beginning of this podcast um i think all of the elements of the series really come together for uh what i think is a really uh like one of the best um all ages anime i've seen out there really i mean you can i mean i would give this to like someone as young as like they're like tweens or something to like get them into like anime or something i mean you know like you know, there, there are some, there, there are, of course, like other good ones you can get like a kid into, you know, like uh, Pokemon, I think is like, you know, I think Pokemon most would, most people consider to be like, you know, a prime first anime to get anyone into. Because, you know, you got the games, you know, you got the show, they, they pair together pretty well. Um, I don't know, I think Little Witch Academia could actually be, could in the future be a really good uh, first timers anime to give to somebody. I really think it's of that like level of quality because I think everything about it really does epitomize 
just what exactly anime can do. And sure, it's a little bit flawed, but I think it's like flawed in ways where like, um, you know, you can kind of understand them and like learn to appreciate the show uh, more despite that. I agree. Like this is the per- uh, this is the perfect like gateway anime to like new fans, young and old, because this is definitely a series that's this is the most family friendly show Trigger has done and probably will ever do. In all honesty, <laughs> probably yeah. Because <laughs> like I wonder if they would ever like return to um, doing some kind of like writing like this again. It makes me wonder. Yeah, but just still, this series is just so phenomenal, wonderful, magical, even just from beginning to end. It's just a wonderful ride, like especially those first two short films, which hopefully one day people are legally able to see again. Get on this shit, Netflix. Please relicense those or some someone out there. Please make those first two short films legally available because those pair well with this series. Well, like they, well, yeah, they're 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 inevitable viewing, really, if you watch like the series. And just the series has some like. Probably some of the best characters, like, in any of Trigger shows. And Trigger shows definitely have, like, some really great characters, you know? Yeah, but this one does, does take a lot a lot more, t- does take a lot of care to try and uh, flesh out each and every single one here. Yeah, with everyone getting their own, like, little spotlight episodes and everything. And how, like, they bounce off our lead character, Anako. And also, uh, one thing, of course, is the, the dub being great. Everyone's really good here. Everyone pulls through extremely well. Mm-hmm. And also, just, again, just fun to see that... Erica Mendez get to be getting to be a lead in a trigger show again, you know, after Kill a Kill. Yeah, very nice to see. And of course, it's Trigger. The animation's gonna be gorgeous. And like I remember when the the series was first announced and you know how the fir- the two shorts had like amazing animation. Part of me was kind of wondering like if the series will be able to keep up with it. And while not exactly, but still it comes really, really close. Like the animation is still just that good. I know, just as just as good as like any of like their other best works out there. And like like we mentioned, like there's plenty of moments with Trigger just flexing the animation muscles, just showing off, showing that how good they are and how far they've come ever since they started back in twenty thirteen. It really is incredible to see. And also this is a we say this is also a perfect series for new fans of anime. This is also a perfect series for those who wanna follow, say a series about uh, a group of magic users in a school, you know, especially in a time where we find out that the author of a famous book series of a magical users in school turns out to be a fucking turf. Yep, yep. So it's always nice to know we have Little Witch to fall back on <laughs> when certain wizarding worlds just fall into shit shows. Uh, to which I say, you know, like how Universal Studios parks have like those uh, those wizarding worlds in their uh, theme parks. And they have like a new third theme park coming up in Orlando eventually whenever construction gets done on that. So I'm now proposing an idea. So, hey, any universal executives or uh, creative members, if you're listening to this, and I know you are, here's an idea. Rather than base a land off Fantastic Beasts, because not only because JK's a turf, but also those movies suck ass. But how about base a land off Little Witch Academia. You can base an entire theme park land off Luna Nova. You can have rides based off, you know, flying with brooms, flying with the shooting star. Come on. Do it, Universal. It's much better than what JK's doing. You would need a lot of you would need to tie a lot of uh, executives to chairs to force them to do that, I think. <laughs> Just strap them to a bunch of chairs, like, you know, do the uh, clockwork orange thing where you force their eyes open and make them watch the entirety of Little Witch Academia until they start to realize <laughs> that they need to make a theme park attraction based off this show. Eh, they'll learn. 
they'll learn, even if I have to make them. Thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at MikeyShield on Twitter, MikeyShield.tumblr.com, and MikeyShield on the gram. And where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at WolfishGrand on Twitter and WolfishGrand on Tumblr. Follow the show's Twitter at anime underscore baby. That's anime underscore B-A-Y. B-A-Y. Send any and all comments to animebebepod at gmail.com. That's P-O-D at gmail.com. And make sure to follow the show on animebebe.podbean.com. Great review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode, Summer of Trigger continues with a series that pays tribute to the tokusatsu genre, that being SSSS dot gridman or gridman just for short i'm gonna get so tired of saying the letter s <laughs> maybe you can, you can like say it as sssss or gridman uh fuck i don't know man i'm gonna have to figure out some way for that podcast <laughs> <laughs> and if any of you remember my old uh, top 10 anime of 2018 episode then you'll know that i ranked that within my top five of that year so you'll know how i'll have plenty of good things to say about this show yeah, and as of this recording, I have not watched it yet, so I'm curious as to what what's ahead for uh, for me. Oh, you're in for a treat, pal. But until then, remember to stay safe out there, wash your hands, wear a fucking mask, practice social distancing, Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, defund the police, save the post office. Thanks again for listening, and this has been... Anime, Anime baby! baby.